Before we get started with today's episode, we did just want to acknowledge that this was originally recorded several months back, uh, both before Sean Connery's untimely passing and originally was set to air uh, before the Thanksgiving. So uh, after his passing, we decided to air a short tribute to him and we pushed our Dr. No episode a little bit. So, uh, but without further ado, here you go with Dr. No. My name is Bond, James Bond. My instructions were implicit. I was to leave for Jamaica in two hours, licensed to kill. Now you may be missed. You don't miss a thing. James Bond, 007. Licensed to kill whom he pleases, where he pleases, when he pleases. From the elegant club rooms of Mayfair to exotic island night spots. Jump up, jump up. A strange adventure of intrigue, treachery, and love. Honey, from our very first meeting, was everything her name implied. She clung to me like a wet bathing suit. But business as usual came first. The pace was killing. I thought you less stupid. I could have had you killed in the swamp. And why didn't you? You damaged my organization. Unfortunately, I misjudged you. You are just a stupid policeman whose luck is run out. Maybe it was my luck. Up to my neck in hot water. Or something blowing up in my face. The explosive screen dramatization of the book that has entertained millions of viewers. The exotic and tantalizing Dr. No. David, I'm confused that here on the lot, it's really only just you and me and a couple of interns working, yet you're parking on the other side of the lot, and I can watch you just walk all the way across the studio lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw something a little disturbing today. Mm. What uh, You want to tell me about what, what happened to you? Well, I mean, I, I like to get my extra steps in every day. That's why I park far. Um, and usually the lot's very secure, you know, things are, things work out well, but there were so many geese out for blood, I guess, cause they were chasing me. I had to run full sprint just to, and get behind a locked door, uh, four geese. It was like the birds. It was like straight out of the birds. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, and I, I wish it was like the early part of the birds where the, they're just hanging out and not attacking. <laughs> But the, we were in Act Three of the Birds. <laughs> like, it was, and it, I chose to do nothing. I, I just instructed the interns. I said, "Just wait. He'll he'll work it out. Let him <laughs> let him get through it." <laughs> I do. I do have to uh, deal with nature on my own. So you know, I, I appreciate <laughs> you didn't let them intervene. <laughs> David gets very upset when you interfere with him and nature. So. Mm-hmm. Just let it let it take its course. <laughs> mean, it's man, man versus nature is my primary conflict. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why do you think I love Twister so much? 
<laughs> oh my god, we're roll- I didn't even realize we're rolling, but uh, we're 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 live. We're live. Oh, let's just go into the show. <laughs> I've I made it out with my life. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to another episode of Reconsinimation. I'm John Diner, and I'm Dave Munchak. And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And uh, we're checking out how they hold up uh, here today in in 2020 or thereabouts. Um, and we've got a we've got an interesting one today. We're coming off of. Are you are you like so happy we're out of the horror zone? Yeah, yeah, always. I mean, November is <laughs> November and December. I, I this is my time of year. This is where where I get to shine. I I get through the hump. This is your zone. <laughs> I get yeah. I'm in the zone. I get through the hump of the of the horror fests. Uh, and shocktoberness, and we 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 sail toward the holidays, and I yeah. love it. And the cold, <laughs> the snow, and uh, I, it's just this is it. This is all for me. It's funny that it doesn't uh, snow really in Southern California, except at Recon Cinema Studios, mm-hmm. right on our studio lot. It, it snows uh, every Christmas, right on Christmas Day. Yeah, we put we we invested a lot in that system, and we're we're <laughs> just damn sure gonna get 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 our money's worth. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're coming off of some great episodes in our Shocktober Fest sure. um, uh, last month. So we we had uh, Monster Squad, Night of the Creeps, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween Three. We held out a little longer in the the world of horror uh, with Friday the Thirteenth. Part four, mm-hmm. uh, that's Friday the 13th, the final chapter on our last episode. Uh, but yes, we are, and those are all, uh, we had a lot of fun with uh, our pal Brent Hutchins, and mm-hmm. uh, who's not with us today. Uh, but you can find him in the archives at www.reconsummation.com if you haven't already heard those episodes. And, and we've got a show, this is, so this is a show of firsts today. Do you know yeah. why? Do you know, yeah, you know, this is uh why? This is our first time bringing Sean Connery to the show. Oh, okay. That's a that's a first. That's a first. We've had you know we had, we've had a number of firsts this year. First time bringing Gene Hackman in, mm-hmm. uh, and now we've got uh, Sean Connery here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is also the first time that we're reaching a little bit outside of our usual timeline. Mm. We're going back a little further. Because it's also the first James Bond movie that we're covering today oh. with Dr. No. Dr. No starring Sean Connery. In, <laughs> You're right. In the 60s, which we don't typically cover the 60s. So this is exciting. Right. Yeah. Usually our, our timeline is 67 to like 2002-ish. And uh, we're reaching back a little bit further, setting the way back machine to 1962 uh, to go back and, and start from the beginning with, with our old pal, James Bond. James Bond. So is this a recon bondimation? Re, <laughs> rebond cinemation? Is that <laughs> sure? Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna need a new logo for that this. rolls off the tongue. Rebond Cinemation, <laughs> James Bond Cinemation. <laughs> uh, you know, and it was 
we've debated about, we've talked about Bond and covering uh, the Bond franchise on this show quite a bit. We've, I mean, almost from the beginning of the show, we're like, should we? No, we shouldn't. Like, let's let's just leave that one out. Uh, do we go back to the beginning? Because otherwise, it would, um, you know, we'd be picking it up with like, you only live twice. And uh, but after much discussion, we've. Uh, got our, our respective legal teams to come to an agreement about <laughs> just just starting from the beginning and uh, with with Doctor No. Yeah, we I got my lawyer, you got your lawyer and their teams. We locked them in a hotel room for three weeks and had food brought in, and they hashed it out. And now we're ready. It's going to be Bond all over the Recon Cinema Studios. Here we go. We've agreed. Yeah, those those I'm negotiations in. went. Down to the wire, because uh, we they literally just got out of the room and uh, gave us the green light. So here we <laughs> right. go. Yeah, and the <laughs> clock was ticking. If they couldn't come to an agreement, it would be at least another year. Uh, if 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 they uh, if the whistle had to blow, so yeah, we turned yeah. the whistle off, and now it's us. Here we go. The Americans are fools. I offered my services, they refused. So did the East. Now they can both pay for their mistake. World domination. Same old dream. Our asylums are full of people who think they're Napoleon or God. And, you know, it was timely with the, uh, the forthcoming Bond film, yeah. uh, No Time to Die, coming out at some point. Uh, we, will, uh, we decided that, what the heck, let's do it. Um, sure. But we're going to talk about, we're, let's only talk about, like, one movie at a time. So yes. we're talking about Dr. No today. We're not going to do a whole comparison between... You know the 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 Connery films and the Daniel Craig films, or the Brosnan ones. We're just we're going to talk about each one as it comes and reflect backwards um, with just maybe a little bit of discussion about certain points of some of the other ones, but not nothing major. Okay, okay, Does that sound good. You like yeah. you you on the same page? Sure. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of legacy here, so let's let's focus on the film, especially like this one sets everything up. You know, uh, th- there's a lot of meat just on this film, so we don't have to go farther. That that's fine with me. <laughs> that's, that that is yeah. great. I, yeah, I, yeah. I am okay with this. Yeah, and really, like with the Bond films, there's there really is a lot to talk about each one. Um, yeah. Uh, th- there's you know they all have their own story, and and there's you know some of them are based on whatever's happening, whatever else is happening in the the world of uh, of cinema at the time. Uh, for movies like Moonraker, you know, our, our reactions to other films coming out and mm-hmm. and how the uh, the the casting of Bond evolves through through time. But mm-hmm. again, we're going to get to those as we uh, I think we're going to start covering. You want to start covering Bond more frequently, like every, you know, every so often we'll just throw another Bond movie in. How does that sound? Yeah, that's fun. Let's do it. Let's go all the way through. We'll start. We'll start and go as far as we can. Do we do we dare go all the way up till twenty twenty? <laughs> we're we're going. I, I, what the heck? Uh, well, yeah, if we're in the sixties, let's let's yeah, yeah, let's get to the end. Okay. Uh, and it's interesting. This franchise has changed over time so much. Uh, you know, part of what I think we really need to keep in mind is is you know the context of when each of these films came out. You know, what was acceptable then versus what's acceptable now. How does it? How does it hold up? Uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of 
controversial issues, let's just say, in in uh, many of the Bond movies, if not all of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. When did you say you had to leave? Immediately. Almost immediately. I can't wait to dig into this, the controversy. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get there. <laughs> but uh so let's let's go back. When was the uh when did James Bond first hit your radar? And, and then specifically Dr. No. When did that was that one when did that come into your world? Um I don't know when I first heard of James Bond. I was a little kid and I'm sure it was he's just always he's always been part of the culture, so I don't know. People reference Bond and and the lines and and scenes from different movies just the movie titles themselves um so i mean i've always always aware um and dr no i mean i guess i i I knew it was one of the films at a certain point but i i don't know when um because i was not like into bond really um especially the further back you go so i had never seen uh any any Sean Connery or Roger Moore movies, <laughs> if I'm going to be honest. So, um, and then Doctor No, though, you and I watched a few years back, and um, that was the first time I had seen it. And then uh, watched it again just for the, the this review uh, to kick things off. So, uh, I don't have I don't own any Bond movies. I don't I don't have a poster on my wall. Um, I don't have a, a set of playing cards with the 007 logo. Um, these That's are all things. Loss. Yeah, I know you have all these things, um, <laughs> but, but I do not. So yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I'm I'm coming in as a, um, an uh, an interested, but naive uh, viewer. So how did you? I'm just curious. How did you get through your life never having seen like Goldfinger? I don't know. It, that that was easy. I mean, listen. Was it no? Just like it was on. Remember TBS? Like ran TBS used to run Bond movies like yeah. all the time. Yeah, over and over and over. Yeah, I in like no particular order. Like that was <laughs> the thing that always surprised me. Like, oh, it's Honor Majesty's Secret Service, followed by A View to a Kill, followed by <laughs> From Russia with Love. Like, right? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Um, I think I had seen clips like when they play on TV and stuff, but I yeah. I always wanted to, I always flipped to something else. I wasn't into them. I right. think pro- when I was a kid, like in the eighties, like I didn't like movies that looked older, and you know, six movies in the sixties and the seventies mm-hmm. like, looked boring um, when I was a kid. <laughs> but I, you know, it's and watching them now, or just you know, in general as an like an adult, like appreciating like the production design. Um, for for a lot of those films i mean and this one particularly um mm-hmm. great great design work on this one so you know oh, of course yeah we'll, we'll talk about but if mr it, ken adam but if it like looks old when i was a kid i was like nope i don't care <laughs> i was ignorant i was <laughs> were only you just were you were you literally just sitting in front of the tv just waiting for the marvel marvel movies to start coming out <laughs> i knew at some point my marvel movies <laughs> are going to come i just i in 1985 i'm like they got to adapt iron man <laughs> and make him look cool it's got to be iron man to start yeah you got to kick it off um yeah. <laughs> so yeah no i don't know i'm always into the flash and the glitz and 
you know crazy camera movements and stuff i'm mm-hmm. i'm i definitely like to be i like i like a lot of like uh, chaotic stimuli <laughs> for sure and mm-hmm. and it's and my impression of james bond is like and it happens in this movie i think but it's uh like the older movies he could like go walk into a conference room with the main villain have a discussion and then leave <laughs> like uh yeah. this, you know and then like i'm like he's got the bad guy right there the bad guy is the bad guy Wait, what's going on i i don't know what movie it was it wasn't this one but i had seen it it might is it gold is it goldfinger that he like i think he chats with him and then like leaves like they they have like a I don't know. I that probably has happened in several of them. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, like, I'm like, isn't he just supposed to like shoot the bad guy or punch him in the face? <laughs> but I had no concept of how James Bond works. So, um, yeah. And uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But were you uh, a Bond fi- Bondophile uh, going way back or what? Yeah. I, I was always a big fan of the franchise. I remember getting into it. Uh, okay, so my first memories were I had uh, Dr. No and The Spy Who Loved Me on... You remember those read and listen little miniature records? Yeah. Did you ever have those at like 45? So you'd play play those and then like when it dinged, you'd turn the page in the book? Sure did. I had a Wizard of Oz one and I had a Three Stooges nice. one. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a whole bunch of them, but I had Dr. No and uh, From Russia With Love. So those were, what? or no, sorry, uh, Spy Who Loved Me. Um, so those were my first like, oh, who is James Bond? Um, he's this almost like a superhero spy character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I remember seeing Goldfinger and Moonraker where I think the first movies uh, that I had seen and, and it was right around the time that A View to a Kill came out. So those were, mm. those were like the ones that were on my radar at an early age. Like I was probably five or six. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember running around with a, with a gun that was like supposed to be a Walther PPK, that the, Bond, the James Bond gun. Uh, that was, uh, and I, I remember being really young and like playing James Bond in my front yard. Wow. Wow. That's But cool. then I got, then, yeah. And then uh, I didn't see a lot of, I mean, I saw a handful of them. Wasn't aware of like what order they came out. None of that really mattered to me at the time. And then around when uh, GoldenEye came out in 95, mm. there was a huge, you probably remember, I mean, even if you didn't oh, see yeah. it, you probably remember there was like a major push relaunching bond and it was everywhere i mean it was it was a big campaign and uh that was when i got i really got into it uh again and that's when i was like okay let me see him from the beginning and go through all the bond movies and like i didn't even know about honor Majesty's secret service like <laughs> there was uh i was i was learning at that point but um gotcha yeah but dr no was it was on my radar from almost the beginning and when I was a kid, I loved it. So it's, it's interesting watching it again and like really examining it now uh, from a different perspective. Huh. Yeah. Did and, you, and go ahead. I was going to say, I just can't believe not that this is a not quite a uh, I just can't believe there was a children's reader series <laughs> for Dr. No. <laughs> just oh, my God. Weird. It was so like. It was so different too. It was like <laughs> yeah. they skip over all, all those books. Really, they like skipped over so many things and right. just really, real short and sweet. It's like fifteen pages, <laughs> large type. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like 
This <laughs> it's happened. over in like five minutes. Yeah, this yeah. is how he thwarts the villain. Like really, like yeah, that's wild. <laughs> I guess. Wow. I mean, they they skip like entire like subplots and and supporting sure. characters. It's really just the main beats. Yeah, did the opening murders uh, occur in the book <laughs> when Stang? When Stang no, and no, the, I don't think so. Like his he's secretary die. Yeah, like he. It's him getting the mission. Like it started with M giving him the mission. Like, you know, one of our guys has been murdered, and you need to go investigate it. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> <laughs> That's page one. <laughs> oh my god, we should try to dig those up. <laughs> I think I have. So I, before I got rid of my records recently, um, I digitized some of. I, I think the ones that I still had. So I think I have some on my my uh, iPod somewhere. Whoa. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Hi everybody, this is your James Bond read along book. Every time you hear this sound. It means that it's time to turn the page in your storybook. Now, we're just about ready to begin. Dr. No. Remember to turn the page every time you hear the sound. Of course, uh, these the Bond franchise started as a, as a book franchise, and the Ian Fleming novels is kind of where it was all where it all began. And uh, we'll talk about the differences between uh, the novels and the films because they, they, some of them really are, are quite different than what, what's in the books. And, and others, it's like they mixed up a lot of things. Like they, they would take, they would sort of, for the movies, they would sort of cherry pick storylines and characters and, and <clears throat> excuse me, plot points and use them in other films. So like there's, stuff that's in the book of live and let die that's in the for your eyes only movie or they would just take the title and have a completely different storyline like moonraker oh. um you know completely different plot like entirely so you know each book is is quite different uh, or, or some of them are some of them are similar uh but we'll get into that about dr no what the differences are between the the novel and the film okay All have right. you read any of those you haven't read any of the books right no who are you talking to? No, I, I no, and they never, never, never read them. Um, I I don't even know if I knew if it was if Bond was based on books until I was a bit older. Uh, not that it matters, mm-hmm. but I yeah no. How about you? Have you read like a lot of them or any? Or? Oh yeah, I've read I've read all. I have I currently own all the Ian Fleming ones, and oh. uh, I haven't read any of the ones uh, not written by him. But, uh, yeah, I imagine they're a bit different, mm. especially, you know, having been written so much later. But sure. I actually I love the books. I think they're great. His character is quite different from Sean Connery. Uh, he's much more of the if you like Daniel Craig, I would say if you like, um, you know, the Casino Royale movie, they're much, much closer to that kind of tone. Oh, so it's it's uh, he's more all business, I guess, versus, you know like i don't know spouting one-liners and and just yeah. uh, flirting with women every day <laughs> like, yeah and, you know yeah that whole well and we're going to talk about that here because where that came from because that really doesn't maybe a tiny bit in the books um you know he's handsome and attractive but he doesn't he's not spouting one-liners and 
little quips like that and and uh that that was really created for this movie and then evolved over time and and that's the bond that most people are familiar with um you really have to know the books to to realize that that's not that's not the original bond but gotcha. um but we'll get there because that that's all relevant to dr no specifically so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um uh the books were written of course by the legendary ian fleming uh, who I think wrote 14, I want to say it was 14 books uh, before he passed away, and then the franchise was would continue. But um, yeah, he, he passed away in, I think, 1964. So he was really only around for the first handful of, of films, and then uh, then it was all, uh, you know, then he, he was gone. But um, mm. uh, let's talk about Ian Fleming for a second. He was uh, born into a wealthy family, he was a uh, uh, he in World War II. He was a commander in the naval intelligence uh, in the British Navy. He so this will play in later, but he came up with an opera. He was in command of an operation called Goldeneye. Whoa! That was uh, yeah. That the the mission was to really monitor uh, Spain, and the the president of Spain at the time uh, was. Well, there was rumors that he was going to cross into the Axis powers, uh, so they were, you know, really trying to keep tabs on what was going on there. They they didn't, um, but that was what his real uh, one of his main functions was in in World War II. Uh, when he gets out of the war, he uses all those all that experience uh, and his background in 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 the Navy. Uh, to create the Bond, the world of Bond, uh, the character of James Bond, who really sort of mirrors Ian Fleming and, um, you know, MI6 and the whole the whole uh, world that he's in. Um, he started writing the novels or he oh, sorry. One other thing about Goldeneye, he moves to Jamaica, becomes an author and names his his house in Jamaica Goldeneye. Oh, neat. So <laughs> that name keeps coming back, but wow. that's that's all Ian Fleming. Um, he starts writing the novels in 1952, and again they come out. the The novels come out uh, in a totally different order than than the books, or sorry, than the films did. So, Casino Royale is the first novel. Doctor mm-hmm. No is the first film. Uh, we're we'll get into. Um, you know why they picked Doctor No in a minute, but and, and the novels have a completely like there is a through line through a lot of the novels, and, and some of them are like direct, uh, you know, f- sequels to each other. Some are like part one and part two. They feel like, uh, oh. uh, and others have are a little bit further spread apart. But there's, um, you know, there there is an overall arc that's happening. I'm curious, you know, what would have happened had had Fleming lived longer where where bond would have gone if they if they he had sort of an end game in mind or mm. was open to just you know being like a sherlock holmes thing or just you know one story after another after another right right um it would have been i'm curious to see what that would have looked like but um yeah wow. yeah he he wrote he wrote uh his his novels came out from uh, 1952 through 1964 when he passed uh, and again, Casino Royale was the first first novel. Uh, they did try to 
Are you aware? You're aware of the American TV movie that was made, right? Yeah, I know that was the first Bond on film. Was that Casino Royale? Like somewhere in the fifties, right? Somewhere, like I don't remember. Yeah, when. it was 1954. Wow, uh, that, yeah, and oh, yeah. and a a, com- a completely Americanized uh, James Bond uh, was made for TV, and it was. Oh my God! Is his, he like his name? And, <laughs> and he's just like an American. I laugh just thinking about it. Is yeah, he just... he's an American guy, um, Barry. Oh, I forgot his last name, but he's the he's in The Shining. He's the um, like the manager of the hotel who who meets with Jack Nicholson at the beginning of the movie. Okay. Uh, yeah, he uh, his name was Card Shark Jimmy Bond. Oh wow! <laughs> Card Shark. Jimmy Bond. Card Shark Jimmy <laughs> Bond. Yikes. That sounds like a name you would have come up with for James Bond. Oh, totally. That's yeah, that's how I'm referring <laughs> to him now. <laughs> yeah. No, you you are if you're the production executive of this project, you're like, nope, not British. He's American. He's from uh he's from New York City. He's uh Card Shark Jimmy Bond. <laughs> oh my god, I hate that. Gambler extraordinaire. <laughs> I actually did but, see that years ago, I believe. I think uh I think Joe, who's been on this show on our Teen Wolf episode, uh had a copy of it. Good guy Joe. Yeah. I mean, we may have either watched clips or we watched watched the whole thing. I don't remember. It was many years ago. So you've seen that, but you haven't seen Goldfinger. <laughs> sure. Do you want but do you want to know my <laughs> My first James Bond movie. Doctor No is not yes. my first James Bond movie. It okay, was, tell me. It was License to Kill. So, first ah. I went to the movie theater with my father. He was gonna just go and okay. see because he's a Bond. Yeah, Bond, he was a Bond guy, and he was like, "I'm going to the movies." I'm like, "What are you gonna see?" Uh, whatever, James Bond. I'm like, um, "Can I come?" <laughs> he's like. He, didn't, he hadn't even thought of it as an idea. And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> and then, uh, I guess. Yeah, I mean, all right. <laughs> if you want. So, so yeah, that was my first James Bond movie. Then I had seen the, the Casino Royale TV movie. Um, and then I, I think I've, I think I was just, I saw the modern ones after Timothy Dalton, so. Um, oh, did you? So you saw the you saw the Brosnan and Daniel Craig ones too? Yeah, yeah. So I've seen like okay. nine or ten Bond movies. That's not bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's that's uh, that's good. But yeah, so you're coming. So like our usual, uh, you know, our usual deal on this show. You're coming from the perspective of not having seen or or having seen recently uh, these movies, whereas I will have seen them. 25, 30, 50 times, maybe. God. Um, How many times have you seen Dr. No? But, <laughs> a lot. Because I, I used to do these James Bond fests, and it's like you always start with Dr. No. But sure, sure. Uh, License to Kill was also the first Bond I saw in the theater as well. Hey, we might have gone on the same day. You never know. Maybe we're in the same theater. Could be. Were you in Pennsylvania? You would have. <laughs> I <clears throat> usually drove to Pennsylvania just to go to the movies. <laughs> Did you go to the Eric uh, Cinema? <laughs> I was there. Oh, my, oh god. my god. Oh, my God. I have my ticket stub. <laughs> <laughs> Great movie. But, uh, well, I'm glad you've seen the the uh, TV movie of Casino Royale. That, that, that pleases me to no end. Oh, for sure. I thank Joe every day. <laughs> I send him a little note. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, that movie was not very successful. There wasn't really a lot of, um, you know, the, the Bond franchise wasn't really, you know, the, the spark wasn't, wasn't lighting uh, at that time. The novels were, were still coming out, but um, as far as turning it into a film, there was interest, but there was, you know, certain people were interested other executives were really like just didn't see how you could do it and didn't think it was worthy of doing um cubby broccoli who would be the would go on to be one of the v probably the major producer of the franchise along with a few others uh in 1958 uh he's part he has a partnership with another producer irving allen uh he really wants to to option the rights to the to the novels uh, but Irving Allen really doesn't see anything in it, and and he's one of the one of the people that just uh, you know doesn't think it's marketable. And uh, they do have a meeting with Ian Fleming that goes very goes south very quickly. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Irving Allen basically completely insulted uh, Fleming and the novels, and that was kind of the end of that. Um, right around the same time, there's another producer named Harry Saltzman, who is, who w really wants to make the, make the novels into films, and he does option the rights, uh, but he's only got the option for six months. So if he can't get a film into, uh, you know, a, a deal made for a film within that six months, then the options uh, revert back to Fleming. Hmm. Um, so it's getting down to the wire of, of, of making that deal when Cubby Broccoli splits with Irving Allen and he's still very interested in making the Bond films uh, instead of uh, having sort of a tug of war over the rights with Saltzman, they partner up and uh, you know come up with a plan to get the film made. United Artists at the same time is also circling uh, the, the optioning the rights but didn't act fast enough. So they, you know, have a meeting with uh, Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman and uh, led by an executive named David Picker, who is a big, a big uh, studio executive, very important character throughout the 60s, all the way to the 80s, um, part of some major, major films. But uh, they apparently they made a deal in like less than an hour. They were like, once they got in that room, like nobody was leaving till that deal was made. Everyone wanted, wanted to do it. So it was just working out the uh, details. Oh, wow. Look at that. Everybody, everybody on board, great energy, liking each other's ideas. And let's say, let's just make a movie. And, and they get signed. Yeah. I think that's exciting. Yeah. And I think, I think uh, obviously they knew there was something there. They were correct. Um I don't think they knew a lot of the details. I don't even know if they really knew which <laughs> which movie they were going to make first because by that point it's you know it's 1961. Mm -hmm. So quite a number of the of the uh Fleming novels were out by this point. Um they uh start moving forward. Uh they create two production companies or or two companies. One of them is called Dan Jack, which is mm -hmm. Uh, shortened uh, names for the, the first names of each of their wives. 
uh, Danielle and Jacqueline. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is the company that is going to hold the rights to the, to the uh, Fleming novels and to everything James Bond. So um, that company is going to be the overall parent company for Bond, but they also create Eon Productions, which is going to be like the producing company. So that is the one that's actively, you know, the, the movies being made under that umbrella. Got it. And the, the rumor is that, that E-O-N for Eon stood for everything or nothing. That has not been confirmed. Uh, so I, I don't know. That's, that's a rumor. We'll leave it in that category. Okie dokie. <clears throat> Uh, okay, so then the obviously the next task is is getting uh, is choosing a film, and uh, they they pick Doctor No because it's of the novels that were out at the time. It was the most straightforward and simple, and seemed to be the easiest one to achieve. Uh, Casino Royale. We will obviously we'll talk about in greater detail down the road, but the novel is. There's a long portion of it that's just at the, the card game. Um, mm -hmm. That is, you know, there's a lot of, you know, subtleties and reading between the lines. And, um, you know, a lot of the books are just you're really inside Bond's head. So I, I think it, it, there was a reason that one didn't get made for a really long time because it, it had to be changed. And I don't think they were ready to do that. They just wanted a, an, an easier one to start with. And, and that was Dr. No. So right away, they're sort of like, you know, veering off course from the novels a little bit. But uh, I, I that made that made sense to me. Yeah, because you could, it, it seems like you could just pick and choose which adventure he could have. So what's the, what's the most filmable adventure out the gate that I'm sure you can keep you know, keep it cinematic and interesting, keep costs low um, with the straightforward storyline audiences can enjoy. Sure. Yeah, I get that. That makes, that makes sense. Um, Cause there's not like, is there, none of those books are like a bond origin story or anything. Is there, or, or uh, uh, there, they do talk about his background, mm -hmm. which you, you know, you, you find out about more about him in Skyfall uh, in the, in the films. It's very like, you know, very rarely do they talk about his uh, childhood until that film. But um, yeah, they do talk about his background a little more in the novels. Oh, okay. Got it. But that doesn't mean, you know, that could happen anywhere. That doesn't, right. uh, you know, there, there was, I think for a while I was, I was looking back at the Bond franchise and was like, they should have just done them in order, but it does make sense to not start with Casino Royale and, um, you could start with, I want to say Diamonds Are Forever was the second book. Um, I could be wrong about that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that was, that was it. It might be Live and Let Die is the second book actually. Mm -hmm. Um, but so you could, you really could start with any of those. Um, you know, the, they, the ongoing arc could have been, you know, easily modified for the films, but mm -hmm. instead most of the films are just complete standalones. Right. Oh, okay. So there, For, there is yeah. stuff established in the books that carries many, like throughout multiple books. Like when you were saying that there are these like through lines and stuff, but 
Is it yeah, you know, like they ultimately are yeah, there's fighting Spectre right. or whatever or yeah, there's zones. Spectre and there's there's Blofeld and there's you know Felix Leiter and and the storyline with him, mm. um, which which uh, gets completely jumbled up in the movies, but um, yeah, there is there is like an evolution and uh, of of the, his relationships with these people and and. Uh, everything that's going on with him. So. Is, does Jack Ward show up in other Bond movies? <clears throat> no, no. Well, All let's right. we'll, we'll come to Jack Ward shortly here. Okay. <laughs> uh, so th- they start uh, writing the writing the script. Uh, they hire uh, Wolf Mankiewicz and Richard Maybaum to to write the uh, write the screenplay. Uh, Wolf Mankiewicz was really unhappy with how it turned out. Walked away from the project, had his name removed from everything, which in hindsight was a very bad mistake on his part. Um, Richard Maybaum ends up being one of the main writers uh, throughout, you know, the first probably 20 years of Bond. He, he's uh, around for quite some time uh, working on the scripts, usually with some help, but he was he was probably the lead writer. Okay. Uh, obviously the next step is finding a director. So lots of, uh, directors were up for, for the, for the film. Uh, Cubby Broccoli had worked with, with, uh, Terrence Young several times. Uh, there was a film called the Red Beret that, uh, was, uh, they had a really good relationship on and, uh, Terrence Young is probably one of the most important people to enter the Bond franchise uh, throughout its time, because he's the one that really injected the character of Bond uh, into into the story. So all the style and the glitz and glamour and the suaveness that that everyone knows as James Bond, none of that was in the books. That mm-hmm. was, you know, like we were talking about. That all comes from, or a lot of it comes from from Terrence Young. Huh. Uh, that was kind of who he was he was a very stylish man um and and uh he really like took connery under his wing and really merged those two you know connery and like merging with terence young's character oh interesting so he was this this charismatic kind of stylish guy that would have those okay so you said he's inserting himself a little bit as bond you know Oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that's like, like he. Yeah, go ahead. No, like, uh, but like, because it is when you take that, it's it's kind of funny to think of like Sean Connery not as a charming kind of kind of guy mm-hmm. like that. But I suppose, I suppose injecting that into the character. I mean, he obviously he knows how to act, but it's it's kind of funny to think, uh, you know, that that had to be kind of created a little bit. I instead of like, yeah, absolutely, like just part of like Connery as Bond or something. Um, right. Well, cause Connery has his own energy, which he brings to the table, mm-hmm. but it didn't mean that he had that, the style of Bond, right. you know, there, there was, there was, we'll talk about Sean in a second. Um, but uh, Ter- yeah, Terrence Young had a previous relationship with, with Cubby Broccoli. He had also worked with Connery before, uh, briefly, you know, Connery in a, a much smaller part in a previous film. Uh, he'd worked with Lois Maxwell, who plays, uh, who plays Moneypenny. 
Um, so he's uh, he had worked with Peter Hunt, the editor. So he's kind of coming to the table with a lot of the characters who will uh, be a big part of this franchise. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, yeah, the next most important thing, let's find a James Bond. So again, the search was was on and, and tons of actors were up for the role. Uh, Cubby Broccoli was very, very good friends with Cary Grant. Uh, really wanted him to be Bond, but he also wanted to sign an actor who would be available for multiple films. They knew they, they had a good feeling that if this is a hit, we're going to keep making these. So, right, right. Uh, Car- Cary Grant would have never done that. He would he would have done one and walked away. Sure, got it. Uh, so <clears throat> they need a, they need the franchise guy. Yeah, they needed the franchise mm-hmm. David Munchak to be Bond. It'll happen. It's going to happen one day. Oh, me? Yeah. You. No, maybe. Maybe. <clears throat> is that the big reveal in the new Bond film? Is that you're going to be the next James Bond? Yeah. Uh, I shoot Daniel Craig in the head, and then I take his gun and a, a placard that says 007, and I put it in my, my suit pocket. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. who's, who's 007 now? <laughs> and I look at the camera, bitch, bitch, <laughs> <laughs> and then the credits roll. <laughs> yeah. So, yep. That's and spoiler then it goes alert. right into a preview for the next film. Yeah. And it's all action scenes with you. Yeah. And but but it's weird because it's like uh, it looks like a western. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I'm riding a horse. That's the old. Hey, west. you got to shake it up once in a while. Sure. Um. <laughs> So Cary Grant uh, is, you know, that's not going to work out. Although I think he would have been an effective Bond. I'm not sure if, again, he would nail the style, which is, you know, again, what what Terrence Young was injecting. But um, I don't know if he could have done all the action sequences. I don't really see that working out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, he was, how old was he at the time? He was kind of... Cary Grant? Is he a little bit older? Uh, yeah, I mean, he'd been around for quite some time. Yeah. I mean, he'd been around probably at uh, 20 years almost. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, he wasn't uh, a very young guy at the time. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, Roger Moore was talked about uh, as the original Bond, but they, they felt uh, he was a little too young looking at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, uh, at the same time... Young had worked with Sean Connery briefly a few years prior. Uh, Sean was uh, reintroduced or introduced to Cubby Broccoli by Lana Turner uh, just socially. So they had met and he kind of liked him. And uh, But Connery was very, you know, Connery in the er- very early 60s was not the, you know, Sean Connery that we would know and love as the years went on. He was really kind of like just very undiscovered. I don't think he had even really knew what his what his uh what he was really bringing to the table he had an interesting backstory uh he joined the navy at 15 years old and after coming out of it just had lots of very odd jobs like he was a lifeguard not that weird but he was also a bricklayer (laughs) a uh coffin polisher at one point wow <laughs> like, he's just kind of all over the place and starts acting in the mid 50s uh and you know small parts here and there but uh, it was once they saw darby o'gill uh was it darby o'gill and the little people that's what really 
started to open some eyes uh, to him. So once Broccoli and Saltzman saw that, they were more on board. Like, this this might be the guy. We got to work with him. But, um, you know, United Artists was not was not into Connery. They didn't see talent there. They, they wanted anybody else. But finally, uh, Broccoli and Saltzman got their way and, and uh, got him on the film and working directly with Terrence Young immediately. Hmm. And then he just, he's like under Young's tutelage and, and Terrence Young is like just introducing the world of style to Connery and really, really together they're sort of creating this character. And, and Connery, you know, what he did bring to the table was, you know, he had an intensity. Um, you know, he had a, this like lethal kind of look in his eye, this very, you know, that he could be dangerous. And I think that was what really attracted them to him uh, specifically. That I'll agree with. Yeah. That lethal look that, yeah, he, he I just the, that opening scene and then just him walking the, the, the floor. Um, and I'm like, just what an interesting looking guy he is. Like there's, you know, a lot of good looking actors or yeah. whatever, but like, a lot of them are interchangeable, you know, like you, you just like you, you, if you didn't know who they were, you kind of maybe confused them. They all like just strong chin and like the same kind of haircut. And I don't know. But mm-hmm. Connery, young Connery, I mean, he's just a, he's an interesting looking guy. Um, yeah. Like handsome, but interesting, too. I don't know. There's there's there is like a world behind those eyes, you know, that I, maybe like that, that kind of life that he led, you know, joining the military <clears throat> and and. and at 15 and working a, a blue collar lifestyle after that. I mean, that, you know, that creates a certain, uh, I don't know, that gives you a certain edge. I would imagine. And I guess that yeah. carries through, you know, and he's physically in good shape. He was also a bodybuilder at one point. So mm-hmm. he, I think he was in like a Mr. Universe, um, or, you know, earlier in, in the fifties, but, Whoa. uh, yeah. So he's, He's strong. He's intense, mm-hmm. uh, and and Young is is creating this character together with with Connery. And uh, you know, I think the note he gave him was just casual indifference. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, especially in that introductory scene for Bond in the casino, that you you get that in Spades that he's you know he's just everything's he's playing it cool. He's so cool. Oh, he's. The- this is yeah, the women are chasing him because he he doesn't care enough. <laughs> he doesn't care about right. anything. But boy. yeah, and I think <laughs> that was a, a really great note to to give to uh, really that really drives that character. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, <clears throat> Young was a very stylish person, and he got Connery in with his his tailor, and he had him you know involved with getting these custom made suits, and uh, mm-hmm. he would have Connery wear the suits 24-7. He would have him sleep in the suits and wear them all day and just really get used to how they felt and, and, and start to like find the James Bond character between all of these different things. Mm. He, well, he certainly can wear a suit. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he wears it well. Um, and we've got a you know this they're they're building everything this this whole movie is all about building this franchise and creating it and while uh, you know we'll, we'll look back in a few minutes about whether you know this is one of the better bond films or not you're starting from scratch so you know you're you're 
casting roles that uh, are going to be more important as they go on. Uh, we, we have got an a, a interesting cast here. Uh, we've got, let's, let's just start with uh, Joseph Wiseman, who plays Dr. No. Mm-hmm. I, I once ran into Joseph Wiseman at an airport. He was very elderly, but I, my, my eagle eye uh, picked him out of the crowd and, and I sleuthed it out that it was him. Wow. Did you go say hi? Yeah. I did. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. Very, uh, very like rare, uh, you know, fan encounter for him because he had, he hadn't acted in quite some time and, you know, he didn't, he didn't look like Dr. No anymore, but that was, that was cool. Well, sure. Wow. I like to, I like to, you know, I'll geek out with very, um, you know, like I would get way more excited about meeting, you know, a Michael Bean than I would meeting like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, well, sh- well, sure. I mean, you're, but you're a beanhead. I mean, you're a beanhead. <laughs> you're a beanhead. So that's like, that doesn't matter. How do we not have that in uh, what we talked about aliens? I'm sure I called you that. <laughs> no, maybe Did you? I, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe. Yeah. Bean comes up. So I, I know you're a beanhead. Good evening, sir. Happens to be 3 a.m. When do you sleep, 007? Never on the films time, sir. We've got Bernard Lee as M, who I I loved. I, I, Bernard Lee is like one of my favorite M's. Judy Dench is great, okay, mm-hmm. but Bernard Lee is like he really is M to me. Mm-hmm. He defines M for you. How many movies? Yeah, he's, was he in? Was he in a bunch of them? Like, was he in a lot? Of he's in of all of them through Moonraker, and then he passes away, um, oh. and then. He is, uh, they, M is not in For Your Eyes Only, and, but then in Octopussy, they have another actor playing M. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's really it until Judy Dench. Wow. Really? So, so there was only yeah. three M's? In the, there was. Across the 60 yeah. years? Holy right. Shit. Correct. That's wild. Uh, so yeah, but that's an important character, and and he's got the you know the M and Bond relationship is is different in the books than it is in the films. Like they're they're much more, you can tell there's a friendship in in the books. They actually like socialize together, mm-hmm. um, that they they get into. Whereas in the movies, it's more of a father son kind of relationship, and there's an abrasiveness to it. But sometimes it's a little playful, but. Uh, Certain films, he's very short and sharp with with Bond uh, versus some of the others. I see. Uh, Lois Maxwell as Money Penny, who had she had worked with uh, with Terrence Young previously, and and they gave her the choice that she could play Money Penny or she could play Sylvia Trench, and I think she was <laughs> offended by the <laughs> Sylvia Trench character, so so she went with Money Penny. <laughs> it's a good choice. And Money Penny's one of the things uh, we'll, we'll get to shortly that um, a lot of fans love Money Penny, mm-hmm. but there is a lot of problematic stuff going on entirely with her character. <laughs> uh, and and the way she's portrayed is, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, let, we'll come back to that. But um, uh, I think she does, you know, well in the role that was created. Uh, I think she's, you know, and she... Lois Maxwell is Money Penny all the way through the Roger Moore films, so she's got wow. Uh, the first fourteen is all Lois Maxwell. 
Wow, that's amazing. Good for her. Yeah. Uh, let's see. We've got uh, John Kitzmiller as Quarrel, who was, I believe, a local actor in Jamaica. Um, Jack Lord, who we mentioned, is Felix Leiter. And to me, he's like he's the best Felix Leiter. He's really great as that character. Um, he brings his own sense of suave and cool factor uh, that <clears throat> definitely doesn't exist in some of the later Felix Leiters. Um, oh. Yeah. They're- Leiter is a character that, that they, I just think, until Jeffrey Wright, but basically between Jack Lord and Jeffrey Wright, they they couldn't get it. They didn't get it right. Either they didn't cast it correctly or didn't put enough into the character. I mean, he's a very surface-level character in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just there for the mission. He comes off kind of dumb in some of the movies. <laughs> uh, and in the book, they have their friendship evolves. He's not in every book, um, but he is in uh, many of them and they have a a friendship that grows over time and uh, a connection that like through these, you know, adventures that their, their connection is growing stronger. And, and there's some stuff that happens to Felix Leiter uh, that happens early on in the book franchise, but later on in the movie franchise that obviously will shake up his character. Oh, interesting. Um, so he's Bond. Yeah, I won't spoil it because you haven't seen it. So. Yeah, don't. I have oh, no you idea. have. You've seen License to Kill. You've seen License to Kill. I, I saw that when I was nine. <laughs> I haven't seen it okay. since. I don't even remember. There's a traumatic, there's a traumatic event that happens to uh, Lighter in... Got it. In License to Kill, the movie, it happens in Live and Let Die, the book, which is the second book. Oh, geez. Um, where he's, yeah. And, and then it's like how he kind of is physically deteriorating after that. And, and there's like a sadness between uh, that, that Bond feels watching him kind of like oh, gosh. physically like fall apart through the franchise. But, um, and that's not really in the movies because they, you don't. After License to Kill, you don't see Lighter again until it's uh, relaunched with uh, Casino Royale. So, oh, wow. Um, so, like, and then... But so, Jack Lord... Oh, go ahead. Well, so, like, in the books and the, these early days, he's, he's what, the CIA version of Bond? Or he's, like, his, you know... Yeah. Like, I'm sure... Yeah, he's, he's like, the, he's like his CIA, his American contact, really. I, I wouldn't say he's, like, an equivalent of Bond. He's okay. just... He's an, he's an agent that, ha- like, kind of in the beginning by coincidence and then later on not by coincidence is uh, kind of paired up with bond i see okay all right but he's not a super spy but what did you think of jack character. lord i like jack lord i yeah. jack lord's a very charming guy and i kind of liked uh i don't know i like the like the introduction when they when they him and quarrel and all they all like oh we're all on the same side here um i don't know i like jack lord i wanted to see more of him in it just because i don't know he was cool he was a cool dude. Yeah, and this is prior prior to Hawaii Five O, where he would become a you know an iconic TV ca- uh, character. Yeah, but <clears throat> the energy he brings, like he's not a fool, he's not stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he doesn't have as much. It seems like he has different info than Bond. Like he's not uh, going, you know, d- diving into the like lair like Bond does. He's doing more sort of like recon work, which is important and helping Bond. But um, he's certainly not a fool. And, and in other films, I've always had a problem with Felix Leiter because in, in 
in Goldfinger and in Thunderball and in Live and Let Die. Like he's just he just kind of comes across like a like a goofy kind of you know idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and and he's strong here, and and I like that. And Jeffrey Wright portrays him in a strong way. Uh, so you know you want him to be like on the same level as Bond. If he's not going to be diving out of airplanes, then then you know he he needs to be smarter, maybe. Mm-hmm. So which is I, I think what they're they're I think that's coming across here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I roll with that. That's yes. I agree with that. Uh, and then there's the Bond girl. Ursula Andress, which, you know, is a, is a term that would uh, apply to every Bond movie still used today. I don't know how much longer they'll use that um, because that feels very dated. But the Bond girl. Uh, Ursula Andress, one of. Yeah. 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 I get you. Um, Ursula Andress is a uh, was a became another icon after this movie um she was a a model and an actress uh was married to john derrick who was an actor and a photographer and i think a director later and um he some of her pictures that john derrick had taken ended up on uh the desk of uh cubby broccoli and stacks of you know who they were looking to play honey rider and immediately he's like nope this is the girl this is the person so they um, they sent her the script, offered her the part. She really like wasn't taking it too seriously. She you know she has talked about they had a a part you know a, a house party one day and Kirk Douglas was there and they all kind of like read the script and kind of joked and were making fun of it and playing with it. And Kirk Douglas goes up to her and is like, "You have to take this role. Like you you absolutely have to." It's it's easy, you know, it's it's really not that hard. It could be a big movie, like you should do it. Oh wow. So uh so she did. So she agreed and and it changed her career and made her you know, let's just say financially uh independent for the rest of her life. <laughs> wow. So Kirk Douglas we have to thank for getting her in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he was a big. Kirk Douglas was a huge player, uh, you know, especially in the '60s. He oh, was sure. a very, very significant figure. And um, I was just thinking, like, I wonder if they had tried an Americanized James Bond. I wouldn't shock me that if Kirk Douglas played that character. If it wasn't Kirk Douglas, yeah, I bet, I bet that would, if they did that back in the '60s, like, uh, or yeah, maybe I'd buy that. Yeah, I, you know. In an alternate universe, let's just say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Bond. <laughs> Card Shark Jimmy Bond by Kirk Douglas. <laughs> oh, yeah. <yay. laughs> uh, so they uh, they started shooting. They, they filmed the movie in, from January to March 1962. Uh, they started out and did all the Jamaica stuff first. Then they moved to Pinewood Studios. And uh, the same stage that they shot Dr. Noen, they've used that. That is the James Bond stage. Uh, to this day, they they have shot, I believe, every Bond movie at some point on that stage uh, in England. And um, yeah, those were basically the two major uh, shooting areas for the film. Wow. That's so all all the other Bond movies after shot something on that stage. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. That is, uh, you know, there's like the Star Wars stages and the Bond stages and, yeah. and 
yeah, that that sort of their home is at Pinewood because they're, they're usually, well, Star Wars had a long break, but Bond has, for the most part, been in some kind of production all the time. So you know right. they may have, other things may film in there briefly, but that's like their home base. Got it. Yeah, sure, sure. Neat. Um. We've got, a, you know, a, a family behind the scenes is being built as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. A, a a lot of players that would work on several, if not most of the Bond films, of the early Bond films. Uh, very, very important to the franchise. Let's talk about Ken Adam as the production designer. How do you, uh, what did his sets jump out to you? Did they stand out when you watched it? Yeah, I sort of alluded to that at the top of the show, like, great set designs like that when he when uh like all those big set pieces the that big apartment the the big nuclear reactor and when dent goes to see dr no and he's you know and dr no is just a voice that chamber i i was like oh my god that beautiful what a beautiful design like it was so perfect and you only see like you only see three sides of all these sets you know they're all sort of designed in this like great theatrical way um and it's they look gorgeous i mean they're they're they are all larger than life and they're like they're ridiculous like but beautiful yeah i uh i just really enjoyed those like a lot those are really cool yeah they're um you can always tell which of the bond movies are the ken adam ones because exactly what you said they have these giant open sets that are beautifully designed but they're huge you know they're they're enormous and i guess uh, dr nose is a little bit smaller than some of the other ones but um you can tell in austin powers the first one especially they're really kind of uh not making i wouldn't say they're making fun of ken adams sets but they're definitely the jokes uh are referencing them uh you you know the the bond movies that he was a part of he wasn't a part of all of them because he was one of the top production designers at the time. So he was very in demand and wasn't always available. Uh, he does Dr. No, he does Goldfinger, Thunderball, uh, You Only Live Twice, Diamonds Are Forever, The Spy Who Loved Me, and Moonraker. Whoa. And all of those have large cavernous sets, you know, where they're built inside a giant, uh, you know, a giant uh, volcano or a mountain lair or underwater or, you know, it's just a large, a large scale. It had to be... You know, I know they had a budget on this one, but as they went on, I'm sure those sets got more and more expensive. Oh, I have no doubt. In Austin Powers, do they make verbal jokes about the sets, or or is it just the way they parody sort of the, the those designs? No, it's just the way they parody the designs. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they they don't like they don't make a verbal reference to it, but okay. uh, but you can tell like that was that was what they were thinking when they when they sure uh, set some of the things there. So. Well, I mean, and I'm sure it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, he sets the stage like this is how you do. This is how I miss. It sounds like everything that happens in this movie is like that's how you make a James Bond movie, you know, for for at least right. for a long time. Right. It's like big, enormous sets. And James Bond's very suave, a ladies man. There's there's certain that his uh, the way he the way he talks, um, the way these characters are kind of kind of bouncing off him like i'm assuming mm-hmm. there's a lot more of that i mean because even though i'm not familiar with the connery and more films 
there's there's vestiges of of of, of this stuff in like the Pierce Brosnans, um, and less so with uh, Daniel Craig, but they're all still there. There's like a there's vestiges of like oh yeah how you make a Bond film. Um, I, and yes. I I mean I know Pierce Brosnan's like it's amped up '90s action. Like I I get the I get the idea. Like it's very a '90s style, but um, still like very refer- like reverent. I think to the originals. Um, oh yeah, it's the formula. Yeah. There's a formula being created here. Yeah. Um, uh, and a, a lot of things are feeding into that and it'll evolve when, as you know, throughout the first couple of movies, but, yeah. um, yeah, these, these sets are a big, big part of that. And Ken Adam is one of, uh, he's one of my favorite production designers of all time. I saw a, uh, retrospective, uh, for Ken Adam right after I moved to LA, we went to a double feature of Goldfinger and Dr. Strangelove, which he made the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, which is amazing. And in the lobby, they had miniatures of all these sets. And it's just it, it really such an amazing uh, artist uh, and very important. Uh, we also uh, we have the title sequences designed by Maurice Binder, who designed all of the title sequences from he did Dr. No. He's gone for from Russia with Love and Goldfinger, but then does Thunderball all the way through License to Kill. So, uh, yeah, now that includes the opening, the gun barrel, you know, the gunshot and then the design of the title sequences, which are, you know, some of them with basically like naked women bouncing around, uh, which you'll see, David, as we get into it. That's that side of it. Look, they're very beautiful looking uh, and they're very creative and they're very. Um, you know, another staple of the franchise, but it's also a little bit doesn't age well just sitting there for minutes watching, you know, naked women bounce around yeah. uh, that, you know, that's one of the things that uh, doesn't age well. I won't say that, like the concept of the uh, of the title sequence is always is always interesting. And, and I don't think that's really the problem. Because even now, like they still have that same general idea uh, that was going on with the Maurice Binder ones. They just, you know, they just <laughs> put a little more Bond in there, and like kind of, especially with a movie like Skyfall, like you have more of the themes of the film in happening in the title sequence, and less less naked women bouncing around. Yeah, well, like Skyfall isn't quite the sexy movie that the, these early films, I'm assuming, are trying to like there's always a sexy aspect so they're playing that up in the title sequence um, oh yeah yeah like yeah with this one it, they were like it was definitely a couple of women and male like go-go dancing kind of like or or salsa dancing or something and and in those colorful silhouettes it reminded me did you ever were you like a tom and jerry fan like at all like watching the old cartoons or anything like that oh yeah 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 so, like remember how tom and jerry had a certain style and then it had like this weird '60s vibe, <laughs> like weird, yes. like psychedelic yeah. kind of groovy man. Yeah. I always, yeah. always, always hated the the '60s groovy ones, which I think Chuck Jones is like largely responsible for. Um, right. Just it was just an odd feeling, especially because like the older cartoons were, like there were plenty of them and very like of their own style. And and I was watching the intro to Doctor No, and I'm like. I feel like I'm watching one of those '60s 
uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons where music and weird visuals were part of it. It was like, yeah, um, the sixties, <laughs> man, like definitely yeah. like shining through on this title sequence. Um, I think. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the other contribution is that is the gun barrel is the, the oh, gunshot yeah. to the, to the camera yeah. that, um, is actually in this one is actually uh, Bob Simmons, who is the the uh, Sean Connery stunt double, and he would be the stunt uh, double for you know the first. I I, I want to say at least most of the Connery ones, mm-hmm. um, but uh, yeah, that turn to the camera shoot you know shoot right into the lens was shot through it through a pinhole camera, uh, just a, another like really putting a stamp on the franchise and. Um, you know, not something that was really done before. I mean, like, it's still like the only franchise that has sort of a signature like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, sort of. I mean, maybe like, you know, the opening crawl of Star Wars, you know, that's like a staple. That's the opens each movie. Yeah. Yeah. That. um... But I can't. A lot of the X-Men movies, uh, I think, did like the opening of the Cerebro door kind of uh, and I think all but one of them or something like that to like introduce you into the the movie. But, yeah, I mean, it's that that gun barrel, that shot thing through the I mean, that's so so iconic and so perfect. Like, yeah, I think for Star Wars or for like X-Men or. I mean, Halloween always has a pumpkin in the beginning of their their movies, right? Is that is that a thing? <laughs> yeah, but that's I don't I wouldn't say that's, that's a I signature. wouldn't say that's quite the same. Oh come yeah. on. <laughs> well, maybe yeah, maybe yeah, but not as iconic. I mean, sure. Well, it's uh, well, yeah, I guess. I think when I think uh, it's one of the because it became sort of a pop culturey type thing. Yeah. Yeah. That gunshot that that it put it in a different category. I mean, yeah. Friday the Thirteenth Part Six like does a spoof of it in in, oh, in, right. uh, in their movies. So right. you know things like that were going on. Yeah, I guess when I guess when it reaches a point of of being able to be recognized and parodied or spoofed or whatever, like yeah, you've reached icon status um, with that. Right. So then there really is only a few things that do that then like that and yeah star, and that and star wars are the top are top yeah those got to be the top two um and then you know because i mean there's not a ton of franchises out there that like mm-hmm. we're gonna have the same signature move uh, right like star trek does not um right. you know the marvel movies don't no. um you know not not consistently the same boom the same thing it, it, it really is like it's almost like the equivalent of, of, of a logo. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Their, their logo thing. But yeah, other than that. So yeah, I mean, there, there's all these things that are so... Uh, that like change pop culture just in this one film. Uh, plus, because you, they repeated these things, I'm sh- you know, over time. But um, the fact that there was a world before these things. I didn't even realize that the, <laughs> the gun barrel was real i thought it was a representational like i thought it was art you know i didn't think it was actually the uh, inside of a gun barrel like i knew what oh it was, yeah i knew what it was supposed to be like i knew right but i didn't know that that's literally that was literal um inside the gun yeah Cause, yeah because just the way the light hits it and the way it's it and the way it moves it moves around artificially um 
uh, in it. So to me, it felt it felt like a just a like a, a matte painting that they were like moving it around. You know what I mean? I had no idea mm. it was real. Yeah. How about that? Uh, so you know that's a very important moment uh, that's that's created here. Uh, we've got the the editor Peter Hunt uh, who would edit the first uh, five Bond films, and then he would go on to direct Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and that would be his swan song for Bond. But um, uh, he, uh, you know, the, the editing style in the 60s was very different. He made the choice to increase the speed of a lot of the action scenes, which I'm sure jumped out to you, right? Yeah, yeah you could just sort of tell it's, yeah. I guess I didn't I didn't recognize it, but yeah, sped up would be it. But I did see it felt different. There was something else. Yeah, yeah. And that was a stylistic choice that they made to just um, again like ratchet up the pace, ratchet up the intensity. Uh, you can achieve that now in much different ways. But I think I, I got what they were going for. Uh, it, it, again, it's something that doesn't that that to me dates the film now, but mm-hmm. in hindsight. Well, like, you know, because you're only it's, I'm, there's not a lot of quick cuts and things like you you do mo- in modern movies where they're they're shot like 10 different angles and all sorts. Of right. Things. Right. And, and certainly not like and certainly not standard angles either. You know where this is. Yeah. Um, it's uh, what was I going to say? The that's the thing, though, like this movie kind of it, it chugs along. But I mean, I feel like this movie could have been shorter. So. Just to speed up and gain a couple fractions of a second on each action sequence is a big help for me. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I like the movie and all, but it was like, this is this is getting a little long here. We're we're kind of we're kind of with this guy uh, for a while. So yeah. Um, but that's a different that's a different once once we get to the opinion opinion section of the of our discussion. Yes. I will, that's coming. I'll that's re- coming. I will revisit this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the uh, the last you know major uh, element uh, that would that would continue all the way through today really is the is the James Bond theme song by by Monty Norman, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was finished by John Barry um, who also worked on it, but it was really created by Monty Norman. I think people confuse a lot of times John Barry gets all the credit, but it, it was created by Monty Norman, and and he had actually written that. Um, you know, that melody into another song with lyrics like years previously and then sort of redid it for this. And obviously it's yet another uh, one of the iconic uh, parts of the world of James Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and one of the things I think when you think James Bond, there's a few things that probably jump into your mind. I think the theme song is one of those things. Oh, God, yeah. Ba-da, ba-da. I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because like some of the the, uh, the movies like don't play up the theme mm-hmm. as much. And, and especially the Daniel Craig ones, like they, uh, you know, really are very selective about when they reintroduce that theme. Yeah. Um, well, that's yeah, because it I think it's played like. 30 different times in this film. <laughs> Dr. No. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> they, they pound it in. Like they really hammer it home that like, you know, every like new moment with bond, it's like, Oh, there he's walking across the room, play the theme song. You yeah. Know? This is how cool this guy is. He's just got, he's just got his theme song playing every time he does something, you know? 
and it's, yeah. and it's a cool ass theme song. I mean, it's such a great melody. I mean, I understand like it's now reached the status of, and this pop culture status, but um, it really is something special. I think I think there's a lot to the tone of it, um, and that's like the, again those intro sequences that like uh, that are different, but it's like he set the tone early with his theme and the and the those sequences where it's going to be sexy and cool and 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 different and there's like there's just so much communicated so quickly um before you you have a, a you know the any frame of the, the story going it's pretty cool yeah yeah uh, yeah. All right. So that's sort of the like backstory, the making of, you know, everything behind the scenes that's going on. Yeah. Now let's talk. Let's let's switch gears and talk about the movie itself. OK. You, you ready to do that? OK. So let's talk about this movie and what we liked, what we didn't like, what, uh, you know, holds up and what has aged very poorly. Because um, <laughs> there's there's a lot to talk about. And I think. You know, it is when you when you watch older films, you, you, I think you do have to take in the context of when they were made. Sure. Obviously, you know, action movies of the 60s are not made that we don't make them that way anymore. They're completely different. And yeah, I, I agree with you. The pacing of this movie is is very slow. It's uh, there's a, there's a lot of waiting, it feels like. Yeah, there's like I don't know what it is. I feel like you could you could kind of lose ten minutes somewhere. Um, I do think like everything visually is interesting and stuff, but I I feel like you can kind of get on with it uh, a little bit. It's I mean I don't know what I'm not sure. Like I just know it feels just a little bit much, um, but you know, it's fine. But at the time, it probably didn't. It was, I mean, obviously, it didn't. It was a huge hit. So. Oh yeah, I mean, pro- people probably loved it. I mean, it's fine. You know? Yeah. You know, it's uh, it's not that like overly long, but it's just it feels like a little much to me. Ah. Ah. The well, I mean, people's capacity, you know, grows over time. So now we need constant action. Like you've got your, you know, Fast and the Furious films yeah. that are just nonstop action, high, high octane, right? Mm-hmm. I love high octane. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh you know back then this was fast paced and and high energy and lots of action even though there's really only like a handful of action scenes mm-hmm. um but uh i don't you know it's it's hard uh, the issue i have is after the daniel craig ones have come out that i really enjoy quite a bit at least a few of them you know, I, I can't look back at, at the older Bond films, really a lot of them, the Connery ones, of course, Lazenby and the Roger Moore ones, quite the same way. I mean, you watch them almost more for nostalgia's sense than for like, I just don't think you take it as seriously as as you do the current Bond. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 sure. Like, but what? But they're like, like they're you still... wouldn't pull out like I want to watch an action movie. I'm going to pull out Doctor No. You know, you you watch it like you would watch it because like you want to see the Connery Bond and the yeah. stylish Bond and the the womanizing Bond, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's all part of it. I mean it's it is. I wouldn't I wouldn't be like. I mean I'm sure it was like good action in the 60s, but I don't. It's not a. I mean 
I don't know. I don't think I watch a. I would want to watch a James Bond movie because of the action necessarily. Even the modern ones. I mean, not really. I don't. It's because it's a whole package. There's action in it. Right. But it's not the action. Right, I correct, can't wait yeah. for some more ass kicking. Like, no. I mean, yeah, there's cool yeah. gunplay and stunts, sure. But like, it's the whole of the character that is, you know, uh, that works. I think so. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, though. You know, <clears throat> I compare Doctor No to the first Star Wars film. And yes, I'm just calling it Star Wars, not A New Hope. But, you know, in that it's it's building the structure, it's creating the world, mm-hmm. um, it's slow-paced at times, it's not perfect. You yeah. know, there's flaws in each of those films, yeah. but obviously it birthed something huge. Yeah. And, uh you know, is enjoyable on its own, but um, I don't know. I, I I see a correlation between those two films in particular. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like this is this is the origin of it all. So it is like, yeah. I mean, how how yeah. I see what you're saying. It's you wouldn't necessarily if you wanted to watch a, a James Bond movie for depending on your mood. Maybe Doctor No isn't your first choice just because there's lots of crazy choices out there. So maybe you want a little more action or a little more zaniness because <laughs> they get zany don't they don't they get weird yeah oh yeah but the roger moore ones they get they get weird but uh <laughs> yeah i mean but there's and that's they would try to up the ante each each film so sure. and get more i guess more gimmicky so mm-hmm. you know the villains get you know there's more bravado with the villains and mm-hmm. uh the locations get bigger and you know you you can tell that this is a movie on a budget mm-hmm. yeah i guess so you know compared to Compared to, I mean, really, like from Russia with Love, it's already growing, and then Goldfinger, like then you're, you know, um, you're you're really expanding the franchise, and and if you know, to many, like perfecting it in that film. But um, mm-hmm. uh, as far as this one goes, there there are let's I, I want to talk about like some things that I, I think work in the movie, and that sure. I, I did find in, enjoyable. Um, the introduction of Bond in yeah. the casino. I admire your courage, Miss... Uh... Trench. Sylvia Trench. I admire your luck, Mr... Bond. James Bond. Uh, it's a, obviously a great moment. We're meeting that character. And uh, it's, you know, so much of it is when he lights that cigarette. Mm-hmm. You know, the the pacing of the way he you know, delivers that line is very strategic and, uh, you know, perfectly laid out. Yeah. Oh, and he's so cool. I mean, he's like, he's looking off to the side essentially, like, and he's just matter of fact, you know, it's so great. Like, uh, you know, to, I think today you'd like do something a little more hammy to like, you know, hammer home how awesome he is. And like, that wasn't the point here. He's just, he's all style. Yeah. He's all cool. Yeah. That's a great moment. Yeah, now they work that that line in much more subtly. Yeah. Um, it's not as in your face as it is here, but obviously, again, like like the theme song, they're stamping like boom, this is it. This is this is this character. Yeah. You're, you're getting it right on the get go. Well, and it's a nice um, it, it's a nice moment because he prompts her to say her name, and she just she volleys it back. So he's like, "What it miss?" And she says her last name and her full name, like you know trench so Vin- mm-hmm. sylvia trench and then he he like repeat he mocks her or just repeats her you know just volleys it back yeah and it's like damn yeah. that's fucking suave <laughs> yeah like that works yeah <laughs> um 
Yeah, so a great, you know, iconic moment of the franchise. Another one there. Yeah. Uh, the I okay. So Strangway's murder by the by the three not so blind uh, men. Mm-hmm. I I like that. I thought that was effective. I thought it was violent for the especially for the time period, sure. um, which you know I think was really you know could be shocking at the, at the time that it was it was that kind of rough and out of nowhere and, and just cruel, you know, <laughs> like yeah. the way they just execute him. Yeah. They execute him, steal his body and then they go and kills his partner or, or you know, the, the woman in the, yeah. The house. I mean, the secretary. Yeah. Just like, you know, so first it's like terrifying. Cause she sees them at, at three different windows. The camera pitches around and then he, and then she's just shot in the gut. Like, ugh, what a terrible way to yeah. go. <laughs> it's horrifying. It's, I mean, a, a home invasion, essentially. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's terrible. But awesome. um, I thought that was well done. And then there's, you know, some some jump cuts in there, which uh, are, you know, there's certain th- choices that they made in this movie that that can take you out of it. And, and that was one of those, like, oh, well, there's a cut, you know, like yeah. that bumped me a little bit but but it didn't really take away that much from from uh from the moment it was, no, the violence a, was uh it's, overruled it's it set some stakes there i think it's it's just some like the the stakes are set it's a little it's intense yeah. and there's a real you know they're creating this set real real sense of danger yeah. this um you want it you want the danger level to be high and the threat to be taken seriously so you've got to you know come off kind of kind of rough right off the start mm-hmm mm-hmm um, I mentioned I love M. I think Bernard Lee is great. He's like short to the point. You know, he's got his purpose is to like lay out the mission and the like the parameters of what's what's happening here and mm-hmm. and his relationship with Bond and you know how he uh, Bond's gun is a big point in the books because that's very the, the gun is like a part of him. So when he has to hand over his you get a little bit of that sense here when he has to hand over his his previous gun and he's given the Walter PPK. That's a that's a, a big moment there. Oh, so in the books, like the Beretta is his like signature gun, like. Um... Yeah, I think the Beretta is his gun in the. I want to say in the first couple books, uh, and the gun he trusts, but now they're forcing him to use a new gun. So okay. it's like like a, like riding a new horse. I see. Okay. Oh, that's uh, yeah, yeah. But like that's and then he uses that gun. In all the movies, right? He always has a Walter PPK. Yeah, the Walter PPK is his. That's his personal gun that he's got on him at all times. He will use other weapons, obviously, but sure, sure. that's the main one. That's his main gun. Um, and the character, so the character who actually comes in with the suitcase with the with the case and gives him the new gun, the Walter PPK. Mm-hmm. In this film, his his name is Major Boothroyd. Is how he's announced. Mm-hmm. That's actually Q. Oh, really? Well, we see that actor yeah. as Q uh, in later no. films. Desmond Llewellyn uh, is cast as Q in From Russia with Love, and oh. he is the iconic Q. Yeah. He plays him all the way through. I think the world is not enough. Yeah, I knew. Okay, I wasn't sure when Desmond Llewellyn was was brought in. So, no. yeah, he comes in. Uh, he also we'll, we'll talk about him on on the From Russia with Love episode. But sure. uh, yeah, so but that character is Q, not referred to as Q. I think in the first few books he's still called Major Boothroyd. And then they kind of like segue into the Q name. Oh, okay. But uh, but yeah, that's him. So technically Q is in Dr. No. Um, I, I think that's not super obvious for everybody. Just like the way Jason is in the first Friday the 13th movie. Yeah, exactly. He's not quite who we know and love. 
Yeah. Same thing. <laughs> Same thing right there. And see? The parallels between Dr. No and Friday the 13th are, are, are incredible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> are you ready? I mean, we just covered that. Are you ready to go back and talk about Friday the 13th some more? I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Um, uh, we've talked about Jack Lord already. Um, I, again, I lo- think he's fantastic as lighter here. Yeah. Um, it's funny, like the first 10 minutes, the only two women in the movie are also like throwing themselves at him. <laughs> like, yeah. The only two. Yeah. Well, that... well, let's, <laughs> we're going to get <laughs> like to that. They are thirsty. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the you know Bond style like that comes across right away from the moment you meet him you know that he's a, a very stylish guy he has he has good taste good choice in clothes good choice in liquor good choice in cars good choice in you know in in everything really so um, sure. uh, that's uh, comes across very strong in that opening scene um, the I think my favorite moment of dr no though is the death of professor dent oh okay that's controversial for me but yeah well, yeah real okay yeah because that's that that's some stone cold shit it's a smith and wesson and you've had your six i love when bond is brutal and there's certain moments and it's not like that in every single film but there's a handful of them where he really gets gets mean and gets violent and gets you know uh, just just totally you know brutal with with uh you know he'll execute people and he yeah uh, he really did that here with with dent and even though dent is like trying to reach for you know he's trying to reach for that gun but he is technically unarmed. He doesn't have to just... <laughs> and then he shoots him in the, again, like, in the back. Yeah, well, to make sure he's dead. But the yeah. But the thing is, yeah, he's going for a gun. And Bond knows he's out of ammo. I mean, it's... He, exactly. He, I, I get he's got a license to kill, but does he have a license to just execute whoever the fuck he wants? Like, I was like, Jesus, there's no reason to. He, he, that guy could have potentially had more information. Like, I was, I was right. like... I, I, oh, he definitely had info. Yeah, he definitely did. So is that is this is this what I'm is this what I'm going to be looking forward to him just indiscriminately murdering people in the future movies like that could have been helpful no. or you know there wasn't even like a sense of revenge or karma for that guy or you know Bond wasn't threatened because he he knew he was he had no ammo. I right. I, I do not like that moment. I don't. I that's kind really of fucked up. No, I don't like. Why would what? Why kill him? Like what? What's the point? It's like other than like Bonds. Well, I mean, a, he did. A, he a bad guy. <laughs> He's kind of a bad guy. Technically, it is. Technically, it is a you know an act of self defense. The guy just shot you know six bullets into his bed. Hope you know thinking Bond was in it. Obviously, Bond had outsmarted him. Yeah. And uh, so it was. It was. Um, it was. I think he justified it as self-defense, but just the way he did it. I see. He's I really love ammo, it. and he knew I, it. I, <laughs> he knew it. Yeah. No, that's. I mean, I get it technically, but he had him at his. He had him at. He had him. Uh, whatever you call it, at his mercy, and he showed no mercy. Yeah. Kind of a dick move. Well, kind of a dick move, James. Oh Bond. yeah. I mean, technically, technically, you should have what arrested him, right? Yeah, well, send him to the authorities. Get some more information out of him. If they all give yep. a shit about Doctor No, like, 
isn't he trying to be isn't he in the intelligence industry like isn't this about part of the yeah. intelligence like why did you yeah. kill the guy who's who you would have at your mercy like i uh, yeah i don't i i I, it doesn't make me feel differently about Bond overall, but I just think it's just a shitty move. Like, that's just shit. Like, well, it's all—it's also established earlier in the movie that these, you know, henchmen of the people working for Doctor No or for Spectre, like, have cyanide tablets, so that they're—they're yeah. they're not gonna talk. Like, they're either gonna get killed or kill themselves. So, I—I uh, I don't think he would have really been able to get info out of Professor Dent. Yeah, um, I guess. Uh... He, but he offered up information when he, you know, he already offered up information in the room. So, like, I felt like, oh, mm-hmm. there's more questions to be asked because he's not quite like these, uh, like, um, you know, extreme true believers, maybe. I, who would know? Maybe he wouldn't. Um, I don't know. I, I, I mean, story-wise and what you're saying justifies it or whatever. Uh, not, no, my, probably my least favorite moment. I was like... I don't like Bond when he does that. Like that was the worst part of the movie for me. That's funny. All right. Well, I, I'm I'm interested to see your opinion as as we go through the films. So <laughs> when he's when he's ritually there... murdering people whenever he wants. <laughs> like, if this is what he's gonna do, I'm gonna like him less and less. But um, he's a, he's really a serial killer. Uh, yeah. You know, the, going back to the parallel with Friday the Thirteenth, very similar. <laughs> I I get and I get like he was told he has a license to kill, like he you know yeah. he can't get in trouble because he you know he he's the one that gets to judge whether or not someone can live or die. There, I, I think it's a moral judgment on my part that I'm I'm exacting onto him. Like I'm, you are, but, yeah. but I, I hear what you're saying though. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, murder's kind of not kind of a, a small deal. So anyway, um, okay, all right, interesting, interesting. Can't wait to get into more of these. Like, as long as he's not just killing um, random people. Like, uh, you know, I'm cool. With no, that. no, no. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Okay, Ken Adams sets. We talked about how how important those were, and, oh, and big beautiful. fans of those. Um, and then the the explosive ending. I thought that was really well done. Uh, you can tell they you know spend a lot of money, on, and some of that is miniature work, but it, it comes across really well. Um, yeah. You know the intensity and the 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 explosive level of that ending was I, I think worked really well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that was exciting. <laughs> like yeah and big it felt it felt big like when in the exteriors like it matched what was going on in the interiors i thought that was really really cool mm-hmm. yeah 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 the scale the scale matched so uh and that's important when you're you know getting to your climactic ending yeah another thing i really liked is when they were they still had to like and uh get into the base or whatever and they're they're on the run and it's a squirrel and he and honey rider and you know they cut reeds to breathe underwater and i was like this is mm-hmm. this is like another tom and jerry cartoon right this is bugs bunny right here something's <laughs> going on like this is where it comes yeah. from like this moment yeah <laughs> like, um yeah yeah very useful it saved their lives but it was just kind of funny um with that wherever i think of reads breathing and I'm thinking of like a Bugs Bunny cartoon or something like that. So, right. <laughs> you know, um, and, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. What else did you like? Anything else like jump out that was, that worked for you? It's like, I, I can see like how the, uh, 
like upping the stakes from the villain giving uh, Dent the tarantula. So to use a creepy tarantula, like this real weird way to kill Bond, like in his sleep. Um, Mm -hmm. So like, which is kind of cool. It's like devious and like it wouldn't be traceable really um, or anything like that. But it's also kind of just like it could be labeled an accident, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like he's just dead. Like it's different than him waking up or, you know, getting shot in the head while he's asleep. So, you know, it won't be the last time you see. You won't won't be the last time you see uh, an animal released into his room. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny to me that like he set up the room to like see if anyone's been in it. And like he he sees the surface of the closet's been broken, but he doesn't check inside the closet. (laughs) Like shouldn't like when what if there was a guy with a gun in there? Why did you? I mean, you or a bomb or like what? How does he know the the room's been been uh, you know looked through but and, and evacuated? So um, yeah, and I like and and it's really like the, the more ban he has more banter with like all the women and like Miss Taro, who again he's kind of a he's a cold guy man <laughs> like with with Miss Taro yeah. Jesus Christ oh yeah he <laughs> like yeah like he he played her yeah <laughs> like what is He's like such a jerk, but um, yeah, uh, those were like, yeah, those were like the other glorious moments. Sure. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, all right. That's what I, let's, I let's it. talk about. All right. All right. Fair enough. I'm, I'm with you on, on most of that. Now let's talk about what, uh, what doesn't age as well, because there's, there's really so many problematic. Yeah things in and especially the connery movies yeah. uh maybe a maybe just as much in roger moore uh it starts to dial down with timothy dalton but um mm-hmm. yeah i you know the sexism and the racism that goes on in these movies are really it's a product of its time and, and you know now we're trying to really recognize how deep those issues are Uh, because you know for our generation it was just like we were born into it and some of these things were just accepted and and natural i mean like you don't realize like how often uh you know things like i'll say blackface but it's really you know like for asian people and Mm -hmm. and like mickey rooney playing an asian person in breakfast at tiffany's and Mm -hmm. even like digital blackface which is people are trying to like learn about now that that's um can be just as offensive. Mm. Uh, you know, there you've got two non-Asian actors playing Asians here. Yeah. And in doing so, you know, doing the accents and they're, um, you know, doing mi- makeup on them to make them look more Asian. And like, why don't you just actually cast Asian people in that role or, you know, not, uh, nationalize it so much you know yeah yeah um well like yeah they like i guess the the two like miss tarot and dr no are wearing prosthetics on their eye like to make them look you know narrower eyes and stuff like oh my god yeah well i think yeah it's uh yeah (laughs) i think it's more makeup for her than than like a prosthetic but but still she's doing like an accent you know and and uh it's and that was completely normal back then, sure. and now we're trying to 
recognize that that's not normal. It's not okay. It should have never been okay. Um, right. At the same time, are you going to never watch some of these movies? I mean, that's that's a that's a question that um, I think is up to you as an individual. Um, where you're, you know, how do you accept the things that were done in the past? Do you like turn off all, like all these movies and just say nope? And and you know the the whole issue with Gone with the Wind and. Mm. Um, I think you can't go back and we don't have a DeLorean. You can't go back. Uh, well, I don't. You might have a flux have capacitor. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, but we can't. We can't go back and change a lot of that. Uh, I think the important thing is to re- call it out, recognize it, recognize it. It's an issue, and and that's. Well, I think that's all you can do. Yeah, you know. I think I think you're. It's it's okay to to enjoy a piece of art or whatever. And it is, it's irresponsible to not recognize the problems uh, of of that thing. And you know, we you could you could watch it. And you don't have to always have a conversation after and be like, yeah, and that was terrible. And this these things were bad. It's like we, I mean, we do that for we're discussing it on the show. But like, you know, you can go back and and watch these things and say, oh, geez, that's that's different than uh, we would do today. And this is not good. This isn't acceptable. I would never, you know if a movie came out today that did these things, you, we would be protesting it, you know, like there would be outcries yeah. um, and rightfully so. Oh yeah. And um, yeah, because, but now yeah, because we know better and because I think partly you just recognize, like if you watch modern media, like um, when you see this stuff go on, you're like, ugh, because you understand the language of today and what we do in pop culture and these things. And we, you know, we all have our level of comfort and discomfort with some things in Hollywood that are still like problematic um, that still go on. But there's been a, a tremendous uh, improvement. And, you know, there's just certain things that will never happen again um, in, a, in a serious way. Like you would never mm-hmm. unless you're making a movie about these things or um, or whatever. You know, this is not this is not done. So, yeah, I mean, that's I didn't I didn't realize till I looked up like the cast that they're not Asian. <laughs> like, right. Two, those two, those two. Yeah. actors. It's like, that's crazy. That is. Yeah. I mean, cause I mean, I don't know. They, they certainly seem a little exotic on the film since like, there's a ton of like white people in it or whatever. Um, but I couldn't tell what, you know, their actual origins or whatever. And so, right. and so, you know, yeah, that's just, that's just blah. Yeah. Not good. Not good. No, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it doesn't ruin the know, movie. I, there's, for me. It can't ruin it. Like they, no, it's no. But uh, again, it's it's a thing. It's a thing that's out there. It's sort of like if you don't talk about it, it's like the elephant in the room. Yeah. I mean, when when the when the pandemic started, mm-hmm. I did a Bond fest with my kids, mm-hmm. and we watched all the Bond films, and we made a list of what you know was really like what wor- worked for them and what didn't work for them mm. watching uh, each movie and. You know, especially these older ones, like they they were of the opinion that they did not like the movie at all because of these things. Like sure. they were so offended by some of it. They're like this. No, it, it was too big of a bump for them. Yeah. I for us so. in our age group, you know, we were we were born into these movies and, you know, the level of of. Um, of racist stuff and sexist stuff like didn't really 
start getting brought up until you know unfortunately too recently so mm-hmm. um now we're trying you know it's we're re-examining yeah we grew up with this stuff as part of the language and you know whether or like acceptability of these things or whatever before we recognize them part of it is growing up with these things is like you have to deprogram yourself to like because at at a certain point it was acceptable in a sense or even if it was weird for you as like a very young person or whatever and then learning like what things are and then you go back to that media and you're like oh shit this is like super racist like i don't know you know you kind of have to like yeah you 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 find that criticism and um you have to reconcile like how you feel about that movie with what you're actually witnessing and find that balance so that's the, the yeah, because your kids are probably not seeing a lot of seeing a lot of this stuff. They don't see that stuff in the modern day, like this kind right. of like this right. the level of sexism and the level of like you know racial, um, imp- uh, you know improper racial uh, portrayals or whatever and stereotypes. Yeah. So they're not I, they don't they uh, there is zero tolerance for that today. So to see a movie that does that, the, I'm, I can see why they're like, yeah, totally ruins the movie. I don't need this shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, I get it. Well, it was it was a real struggle to get through the early Bond ones and even some of the bigger ones like they didn't like. Uh, and then, you know, they were like, what is this? Like, why do people like these movies? And then as we evolve through up to the Daniel Craig ones, now they're like, you know, they love the Daniel Craig ones. And yeah. then, you know, they see that like it was being recognized, you know, as we got to more current day and, and dealt with for the most part. Um, there's mm-hmm. still issues, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is a movie that has a white actor telling a black actor to go fetch. Yeah. You know, that is like not good. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's there and we're, we're just trying to recognize it now and bring attention to it. And, and the sexism is as bad uh, you know, the, equally as bad. Looking for shells? No, I'm just looking. You know, the objectifying of women is so horrible in probably all the Bond movies up until, whew, I don't know. I mean, even through the, the Pierce Brosnan ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, it, was, it was heightened in the, in the, in the 90s, too. Um, yeah. I mean, the women are sex objects. They're, you know, naked or half naked. Um, You've got that iconic shot of another iconic moment of the franchise. Ursula Andress coming out of the water in her bikini, which was, you know, huge for the bikini business. (laughs) Um, And then the funny thing is that in the was it Casino Royale, I think it's Casino Royale where you, you they do the same shot, but with Bond coming out of the water. So, right, right, you know, right, clearly right. like they were trying to uh, like make up for it with by objectifying Daniel Craig, right. and, you know, um, but it's but, funny uh, that. Yeah, that, it's all over the place here. Well, Halle Berry also redid it in her Pierce Brosnan uh, debut. Yep. Like, or the episode, yeah. the, the episode, the movie she was in. She's just wearing an orange yeah. bikini, but she's even wearing like a big white belt with a knife. Like it's like. Oh, yeah. It's like a. Re- no, it's definitely. <laughs> It's a it's a recall. It's a callback to, to Honey Rider for sure. Yeah, yeah. but uh, well, like the thing is, like you know, Sylvia Trench in the beginning, great banter at the card table and flirtatious and whatever. Um, that could have just stayed as is, and then you know she throws herself at him, uh, 
in, in, you know, he finds her in his hotel room or whatever. Or in his, yeah. Yeah. And, like and she's, begging for him, she's, basically. Yeah, she's, you know? yeah, she is down. <laughs> like, yeah, she's just wearing one of his nightshirts or whatever. Like, okay, like you're not there to like talk. Um, which, like, I don't know. There's, I think the idea of that is like sexy and cool, but it's still like men writing these things that, you yes. know, to show. And like, maybe that's okay. Um, that like the fact that like he's pursued, like you can sort of see the idea of it, but then it's like he sees he meets money, he sees money penny, and they have their flirtatious banter, and he's a little like you can tell there's a power imbalance between them, too. I don't know, it's it, but it's like the banter yeah. is one thing, but there's always this underlying thing that's like a problem, like and he yeah. does it to every yeah. woman he meets, so like it, there's five different, I think there's at least four different women he flirts with or five um and he has sex with well, two of them like so okay. yeah we'll keep a, we'll keep a, a sex count going for uh, <laughs> yeah. for the bonds um you know there's in later movies there is women he like forces into having sex with him yeah. that is horrible you know like i mean it's it, it's not portrayed as rape but like yeah. it, it kind of is you know he's but we'll get into it. it that that's not that isn't necessarily here in doctor no yeah, but yeah. um you know money penny is you know her entire relationship with him is this flirtatious thing like she really doesn't have a character in a lot of these films this one especially right. that there's no like it's just all about you know, whether or not he's going to push to sleep with her or have his way with her, yeah. um, you know, and does she want it? Is she just, is she trying to really kind of fend him off in a way or not? You never take me to dinner looking like this, James. You never take me to dinner, period. Uh, I would, you know. Only Anne would have me court-martialed for uh, illegal use of government property. Flattery will get you nowhere, but don't stop trying. There's actually, they did come up with a backstory that uh, they did have a relationship. They basically had a weekend lovers tryst together uh, and then separated. And, and that, was, uh, that was like their relationship and knew that they knew that it could never work as like a, a long term mm-hmm. thing. Sure. So uh, that was sort of the, their, the backstory that they were working with that. Um, you know, it could be something great, but uh, no one's, neither of them are really willing to like give it that, give it a go. Right. You know, well, like she's only in ev- the every movie just for a few minutes, right? Like, does does she have any? Yeah, she's a long she, story. She really is. Like, in any point? No. Okay. Um, like part of the plot. I mean, uh, there's there's more in recent films. I won't spoil it here, but sure, she sure. has a bigger role. But. Um, the, you know, especially with the Lois Maxwell ones. No, it's, you know, she maybe, maybe like helps the plot, further the plot along, you know, once or twice, but mostly is just there because they're, they're creating this up. Oh, okay. Here's part of the bond staple. Like you got to have the, the, the meeting with M followed by the flirty banter with money penny. And that's it. Right. You know, right. Or maybe we see her in the last scene of the movie again and that's it. Yeah. And it's the, yeah. Cause the, the, the movies have no concern over, money Perry, money penny as a person like beyond what right. she's there for you know she's the secretary i'm yeah. secretary who flirts and you know she's uh, yeah like 
okay, cool. That's a great character. But that she's there to only in service of showing how, you know, how James Bond can be flirt and be wanted by women. Like she's just right. Like, so yeah, like that's not interesting today when you like, I don't know. Well, it's just not acceptable. It, it's basically saying that women aren't people. You know, yeah. they're not worthy of having a character and a backstory. Whereas, um, and in the books, I don't, I don't remember uh, if Money Penny has a real more of a depth of character. I can't remember. Um, I know Honey Rider. They do get more into her character and her backstory and why she's there and what she's really doing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that there's a greater depth to that so in, in the novel. Yeah. Well, like, and then Miss Tarot, who is a threat to James, and he's aware of it. Like, she's she, you know, she, she's there to, uh, like, she, she's in on this like assassination of uh, plot of him. You know, like, to, he, so mm-hmm. like she's acting to kill him. He's outsmarting her from the very beginning and sleeps with her twice, knowing that like what she's up to and then like mm-hmm. immediately has her taken away or whatever. Right. Like, uh, or yeah, like, so he uses her like it's, Oh yeah. Like p- part, I mean, part of the, the spy game is one thing. Like, and I'm sure he's obviously like attracted to her and she is, pro- she's attracted to him, but like the, the pretense is like, is kind of nuts. Cause he knows what he's going to do. Like he knows he's going like, to yeah. take her down. So it's like, that's kind of gross, man. Like, uh, in a modern context, uh, or just yeah. a right, re- or just well, like he's a, using sex as as power. Yeah, and like, and I mean, she was, and the thing is, like, that was her attempt at it too. Like, right, like she was using her as though right. she's using her feminine wiles to trap him. He's already outsmarting mm-hmm. her, and he, so he's just gonna have sex with her anyway. It's like, oh boy, right? Like, that's like, it, in, yeah. In, well, like, it's like. Okay. He can have his pot, you know, his cake and eat it too. Yeah. That he, it's like, I'm going to have sex with you and then bust you. Yeah. Uh, and that is, we will see that many times, yeah. many, many times. Yeah. I like, I get the idea of like a femme fatale type of character can be useful to trap men to, you know, for the villainous ways. Like, yeah, use, use sex as a weapon. Like, but like Bond is doing this, like is always a step ahead. So the femme fatale mm-hmm. only works for like if if there's like if the victim is a true victim to it and i mean right. and i just mean in general i don't mean like if you were to portray a femme fatale or whatever uh in a movie like it's acceptable or you know worth worth watching um story-wise but like it's uh yeah it's just there's just like this gross element to it with him yeah um and then, you know, then we get Honey Rider, which she doesn't have time to have sex with her. But like, like, it's just more, more beautiful. Well, it's alluded all. to at the end. Well, oh, it's yeah, alluded yeah. to that. That. In, yeah. In the boat. Right. 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 So then. Yeah. So, yeah. He has sex with three different women in the movie. <laughs> like, yeah. It's one adventure. Probably unprotected. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Definitely unprotected. Um, which like in real life, like, you know, go get yours, I guess. But like, I don't know just in in the in the limited time frame of a film that's 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 uh that's all kind of not not good <laughs> not not good yeah i don't know um yeah yeah so i mean obviously those are big those are big uh elephants in the room with with bond as a whole because that became like part of the staple the bond charm which was actual actually like 
sexual harassment <laughs> right. is what Bond's charm is. Right. Um, uh, so it, it's an ongoing problem that um, it's hard not to recognize that. Uh, uh, same, the same thing as the, the racist stuff is, yeah. again, you can't change it. It's part of what it was. You don't have to like it. You don't have to enjoy it. Um, it is, you can choose. And that's the other thing, you know, you can choose not to watch these movies if it, if it bothers you that much, but it's also, you know, some of these are part of uh, cinema history and, and, and big parts of it. So it needs to be recognized. Um, yeah. There's a couple other things that uh, aren't racist or sexist that, that um, you know, I guess rubbed me, not the wrong way, but just kind of like, I think didn't age, age well. Um, the every time I see the 60s style of fighting, it makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. There is an excessive amount of judo chops and and like flying kicks and rolls. Like yeah. those are the moves of the sixties, the mm-hmm. Shatner moves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> they. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I know what you're saying. They <laughs> they are funny. Like they are amusing. Yeah. Um, A lot of arm twists that into like rolls and yep. it's just it cracks me up every time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, towards the end, uh, when they're in uh, Doctor No's lair, uh, we've got the the radiation shower. Oh, you know, my you God. can just take take oh. a shower and a good scrub will get all that radiation off of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's something to that in some way, I think. But there is, a... yeah, oh, no, there is. I mean, there, there, you know, that's, I think there are. That's how they in do nuclear it. labs. You have things like that, but it just it just came off more of like. A, a regular shower here. Yeah. Well, like, and they, they went down like a conveyor belt. Um, yeah. And there, I mean, if you're paying attention, you see things that, you know, you shouldn't necessarily, you know, shouldn't be on screen. You know, I don't know. I went back to double check. Like? But <laughs> there, when she, <laughs> she comes to the end of the conveyor belt, like, there's at least a, like a number of frames where you're seeing everything that she has. Um, yeah, but it's like, oh my god, yeah. like, what the hell? <laughs> but um, you know, there's no need for that necessarily. There's yeah. there's just no need. Like, right? I don't know. I went back and checked. But that's what they I, did. I like, mean, they were... is that what I saw? Did I just see that? Like, yeah. Um, oh yeah, but but I mean, the Bond films are with with the with the the women in the Bond movies that they they will show as much of their body as possible. That was, that was part of it. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. What else? There was uh, the, so the radiation shower, the, also in the, in Dr. Nose lair, there's like random purple lights, like the, the random lighting. Like what, what are those light sources where hmm. <laughs> they just have purple lights in the hallway and the, the caverns. Um, sure. Uh, just like random lighting sources uh, kind of, kind of didn't work for me looking back at this one i think this is one of those that um you know where they where they have that the rest of the movies i don't think really did that too often like like things that aren't actually a light source but you have colored light coming from it well isn't that just a design thing i'm not, i can't picture what you're yeah you're, you're mentioning because i it, they didn't it didn't pop for me but you know, isn't that just a style choice, a design choice? I don't know. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. That's just a design choice. That um, yeah. To me, that that didn't work. But 
Okay. What do I know? It's Ken Adams. So uh, right. there you go. Yeah. Well. Uh, okay. So. You know, clearly there's some problematic things. I want to go back to the book for a second, just talk about uh, some of the major differences because sure. there's a few significant ones. So, yeah. Like I said, some books will be very different than the movies. Um, this is pretty close, but there are some changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that didn't make it into the movie that were in the book. Uh, Bond has a fight with a, squ- a giant squid. Ooh, yeah. Uh, that obviously probably was one of the first things they cut because of the budget. <laughs> yeah. So, um, he ends up escaping uh, the lair uh, via a swamp buggy, so uh, made it out on a boat in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of a tarantula, they use a centipede to Ooh. a giant centipede to try and kill him. Oh my god! Uh, Doctor knows lair in the book, so in the movie it's like a it's like a mine. In the the book, it's a it's a guano quarry. Oh, which is bat droppings. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. And so Dr. No, I, I, you know, it was a cool stylistic choice. They also do some cool things with all the villains in the Bond movies. And this one, they give him these metal hands, which uh, make him stand out and give him, you know, something significant. But also it's the, the, the price he pays is that he can't climb up that metal pole and slides down and dies yep. in the water and the radioactive water uh, in the, in the book he gets a, he's underneath a chute of guano and and all the guano comes dumping down on him so <laughs> dr no dies in a pile of bat shit jesus <laughs> horrible way both ways horrible yeah. you know what are you going to do yeah <laughs> um, there's no good way to die yeah <laughs> things that they added to the added to the movie uh, that weren't in the book was the mention of specter uh, they set that up uh, in the movie here. That wasn't actually in the Dr. No novel. Mm-hmm. Um, Felix Leiter is not in Dr. No. Mm. Uh, so that was added in just for the movie. Sylvia Trench was not in Dr. No. So they, her plan, the plan for Sylvia Trench was to be Bond's you know, girlfriend, basically, for the first you know, six movies or so. They, they abandoned that pretty early on. But... Um, yeah, so she was not in the novel at all. The casino opening um, is not in Dr. No. That's probably sort of a callback to, to Casino Royale mm-hmm. more than more than anything. And uh, the death of Professor Dent that we talked about uh, is not, uh, he does not die that way in the, in the book. So um, some differences between the, the book and the movie. Uh, again, some of the other ones will be have much greater differences, but overall, the plot is the same. The general story direction is the same. Um, so, you know, it, it's a fairly fairly good uh, adaptation from the novel to the film. So, will I see Sylvia Trench again in the movies? You will. You will see her again. Will I see Honey Rider again? No. Oh. Okay. Um. I don't think does any Bond girl like. I don't think any Bond girl reappears. Wow. Unless I'm just kind of scanning through them in my head. No, I think really um, Money Penny would be the only one. Okay. All right. Good to know. So yeah. 
So they set up a franchise. They don't even do in this. Uh, this I mean, they don't even mention them. Like they're 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 just completely gone as if they never existed. And that, again, why a lot of the the movies could be standalone movies. Right. Um, and and it's you know really hard to. Or, I mean, only a few of them call back to the, a previous film. So you know it's really hard to see even what the timeline is of these uh, of the movies. And then especially with the Daniel Craig ones. It's like a, it's like a different sort of a completely different timeline, right? It's its own thing. Those Daniel Craig movies, right? Um, right. Well, I, they reset everything. So okay. you know, some people think that they're prequels. You know, that the Daniel Craig ones could be taking place before oh. Doctor No, oh. but uh, I don't think so. I think it's more of a straight up, just re re uh, you know relaunching. Yeah, I I re- regret not having seen Spectre because I. I have enjoyed the other Daniel Craig movies. Um, so I, and I, and because I'm not familiar with like a Spectre thing in the Pierce Brosnan movies at all. I don't know. The organization Spectre. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it's, they, they will move away from Spectre in the God, I think in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, okay. So like for me, like Spectre is this, I don't know anything about this thing. So then, when these Daniel Craig movies were coming out and then with this Spectre movie and then, Oh, it's referenced in Dr. No, like this is a, they're setting up, like there's this whole other organization. Everyone works all these bad guys. Yeah. And literally the acronym is like a bad guy, crim- yeah. criminals and espionage. Yeah. Oh, and totally. Yeah. I'm like, that's the cheesiest yeah. thing. <laughs> it's like, um, and in the novels, it's called Smirsh is the name of the organization. No uh, Spectre's way. a much cooler sounding name. Smirsh? Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> no. but yeah, it's the Cobra to to MI six's GI Joe. Um, yeah, okay, got it. Or the Chaos to uh, Get Smart's Control. You're right. Chaos and yeah. Control. Which yep. this movie gave me a nice nice appreciation for Get Smart, which I watched a bunch of. Oh yeah, I, yeah. Um, well, let's talk about it. I mean, the movie comes out. We'll talk box office in a second, but it's a it's a huge hit, um, big time hit. Mm-hmm. Launched the whole uh, a, a spy craze throughout the '60s. So you've got, and a lot of it's on TV too. I mean, you've got Get Smart, and you've got the Man from Uncle kind of leading the way. Yeah. Um, you know, big successful hit shows that are all, um, uh, you know, a, a a just born out of James Bond mm-hmm. and uh, and Doctor No specifically started that. So, um, you know, uh, and obviously birthed an entire franchise, <clears throat> one of the most successful franchises, and certainly the longest running franchise. Mm. Right, it's going on fifty eight years now. Uh, yes. Yep, fifty-eight years and and counting, and it doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, ending anytime soon. They've they've weathered the storm of of changing bonds over the years, and and um, it'll be interesting to see what happens after Daniel Craig, and and do they, you know, relaunch it again? Uh, do they, you know, there's constantly talk about a a, a woman playing James Bond or. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a person of color playing James Bond. I, it doesn't matter to me as long as the story is good, um, which th- they've been able to do for uh, at least a few of the, the Daniel Craig ones. Um, 
uh, had some of the the strongest story points of of the whole franchise. But I know there's also people who don't like Skyfall uh, or or Casino Royale. So, um, you know, it's it's some people. James Bond is different things to different people, and yeah. I think it depends what age you are, when you started watching the franchise. Um, I think to a lot of people, it will be, always be hard to shake Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think as you go through time, you know, like my kids, they they had no interest in Sean Connery or Roger Moore, really. I mean, they liked some things about Roger Moore because it was silly. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, for I think the, a generation growing up, Daniel Craig is, is James Bond and, and the other stuff is can only be looked at as through as nostalgia and and sort of I wouldn't be shocked if they were like laughed at the early the Connery ones. Oh, probably, yeah. 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 There it's uh yeah, every generation like it, these things is like these things are like no one uh, has like the ownership over these things like once it's once it's a movie and it's a series and it's out there and the the audience as individuals you know gets to pick like what what this what these movies mean to them so you know is bat is batman michael keaton or is is your batman christian bale or is it even val kilmer right like whatever like you can um or could it or batfleck uh like do people want to see batfleck i don't know um, well, the, the right the right answer is Kevin Conroy is is Batman. Well, yeah, he's my Batman. Um, but uh, he's mine too. Yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, so yeah, I mean it's it's fine. It's like and it doesn't matter if like James Bond, like whether all all the movies can exist on the same timeline or whatever, which it, they can't. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's sort of or at least the idea of these stories could happen for one guy all these you know 20 what 25 23 adventures is that how many movies it's 25 25 25. adventures that one guy could so there's interpretations of them uh through different actors and through time but you know it's yeah who is who is your bond who do you who do you like like i liked pierce brosnan and all like um even though timothy dalton was my first bond um and then uh but yeah like and daniel craig is is uh he's he's great like so he's great so and then if he if he was replaced um is, is this his swan song this last movie coming out or yes like yeah he's, yeah he's this is it for him as bond so uh, wow. people are very interested to see like what they do what are they gonna do like because there's uh, there's part of the plot is like well i won't spoil it yeah. but but there's there's already something set up that um uh, are they gonna transition bond to somebody else right or, you know, there's also an argument that James Bond isn't a person like James Bond is a character and you're you're like 007, like you slip into that persona. Yeah. Well, that was a great theory you until know. Skyfall decided to fuck with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, like, well, we'll, I don't think we'll it, talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it matters, but it is. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. They could do whatever they want and it's never going to take away from all the other Bond films. So it's like. What whatever this generation, the next Bond, what like you can't ruin James Bond. There's so many different characters, so many different adventures, and told through the lens of the of the era they were created. So it's like there's right. no one Bond. There's no one thing. So it's just a matter of preference. Like, yeah, if he like he throws his fedora cap to an, some young agent, some <laughs> and says, "You're it, kid. 
uh, at the end of the movie. Yeah. Whatever. Like, sure. <laughs> like, do it. Like, why not? Um, Again, I, if the story is good, that's what's important to me. And, and many of the Bond films are not good. And yeah. Um, yeah have a very weak story and, and they've been able, they've gotten much better about that yeah. uh, in the last few films. So yeah, that's all I care about. I, I'm okay with you breaking the bond rules as long as it works with a story. So yeah. Well, that's, um, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like Daniel Craig is not the suave debonair guy and he's not the, the silly kind of guy. Like it seems like Pierce Brosnan was sort of this hybrid between Connery and, and Roger Moore, right? Like the gags were sillier and, there was great one yeah. but he's also suave and cool and good looking. Like, yeah. I don't know. He seems like, well, he was, uh, he was a real, he was a really good bond in an era of shitty bond movies. Mm-hmm. So I, I always feel bad for Brosnan because you know, his movies get really brushed aside, but he was a good bond. Um, Daniel Craig, I was dead set against his casting. I thought it was, I thought it was insane. Yeah. Um, and he's my bond now. Like hey. I, I love him. I think he's the best. He's the closest to the book. Um, I, I think he's great. I, I think he's perfect. Yeah. So like that's the thing in the books. He's not this this stylized thing that we see on on the Connery years, right? Like it's very much like right. he's like kind of like a, a, a all business kind of spy, right? Like kind of does his thing. Yep. And, yeah. Yeah. Like he's yeah. he's good at his job, <laughs> kind of thing. He's not flirting with the secretary. Yeah. He's more of a. <laughs> He's more of a like stone cold kind of killer type than which Daniel Craig is as well. Yeah, I could see it. If if I was alone in in a room with Daniel Craig, I expect him to kill me. (laughs) Yeah, I think you'd be be dead. (laughs) He's going to kill me. Or you'd kill him and you'd be the new bomb. Yeah, I get his fedora. Uh, As as discussed. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. right. Um, Yeah. So, uh, I mean, shit. This is quite a quite. Quite a start to a, a legendary thing. Um, yeah, pretty cool. Well, let's talk. Uh, let's talk a little box office and and uh, and Jack Burton. So <clears throat> the movie the movie comes out uh, October tenth, nineteen sixty two, in the United Kingdom. It doesn't come out in the states till May eighth, nineteen sixty three. So oh. uh, there's actually two Bond movies that come out in nineteen sixty three because they go immediately into From Russia with Love. Oh wow. Uh, the yeah, the budget for this one is is one point one million dollars, and that's it. It's, I mean, still a big budget for then. It's nothing now. Um, wow. They, uh, it uh, had a domestic run of sixteen million. Uh, worldwide, eventually brought in fifty nine million. So that is a huge, huge hit. Wow. Uh, right there. It's uh, number seven of 1963 uh, falls between The Son of Flubber and a movie called The VIPs, which I don't recall that movie. But um, yeah, it's uh, and then looking at where it falls in with uh, with the rest of the Bond films from a financial perspective, it is the lowest grossing Bond movie of all time. It's all the way at number 25. Wow. But it was a smash hit in its time, so it just huge hit. And I mean, just that just puts in context how big of a hit the rest of the movies were, because this was the 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 least the lowest grossing one was still an enormous hit. So, uh, and that's just you know obviously like uh, how films were released in the '60s um, that changed over time. I mean, now they're in 
or at least when theaters were open, movies were in uh, more theaters, a longer run. Um, so you're, you know, of course you're increasing the, you know, you have more people going, you know, with certain movies, return viewership is higher, um, than, than others. But, uh, you know, so your the, the ability to gain more money is, is much higher than it was in 1963. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. Hmm. Um, overall, so let's talk Jack Burton's and, and how you feel it holds up in general. Um, what do you think Jack Burton's, uh, in a, uh, in our scale from zero to 13, how many Jack Burton's do you give it? Oh, I could, I could give a zero. I didn't, I thought we went one to 13. Okay. Zero. So I didn't know that was on the table. Um, <laughs> I forgot. This is, I, a lot of the films we've been reviewing over the last few months, I, I seem to fall into like a, a this kind of same number where it's like I, this is a movie I've I've seen I enjoyed it for what it is, and then I don't really never I don't need to ever really see it again and like this I I now that I've seen it twice more or less um, I probably don't need to go back to Doctor No I don't you know so but and I I like what it does set up I think a lot of it's engaging it's a little slow I acknowledge the problems uh, that we talked about. So for me, it's coming in at like a 7.5 overall. Like I, yeah, kind of middling, just above middle uh, in terms of like, mm. uh, you know, overall for me. That's uh, considering all those things. Uh, what about you? I'm going to give it uh, lower than that. Um, I'm actually going to give it a five Ooh. because... I think it's one of the weaker Bond movies, partially just because it's the first and they're figuring things out. It's like the pilot of a, of a TV show mm-hmm. is usually one of the worst episodes because like you're establishing things and yeah. you don't have time to really like get to know the characters. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's kind of got that going against it. Plus all the problematic things. Like I do have a, I do have a hard time watching that. And uh I think the reason to watch this one in particular is, okay, you've got the introduction of Bond, you know, a couple of other like iconic things, but there's the rewatchability for this one is really low. Yeah. You know, this is not one that when you're like, I want to watch a James Bond movie, like this is not going to rank up very high on that list. Yeah. You know, if you want Connery, you're going to go Goldfinger or, you know, maybe Diamonds Are Forever, you know, you're not, or from Russia with Love, like, you don't go to Dr. No, mm-hmm. um, unless like you're doing a thing like let's watch them from beginning to end. That's usually when Dr. No pops in. Um, so, you know, rewatchability level and the problematic stuff brings it down mm-hmm. uh, for me to a five. And hmm. yeah, same way. Like I'm, I'm not going to Dr. No is not one I'm, I'm going to throw in very, very often unless I, I need to <laughs> yeah. for some reason. So before you die in 50 years, you'll probably still watch this movie a dozen times. I'm assuming there'll be somebody else I need to introduce the Bond franchise to. So it's fun. Look, doing the Bond movies, like I have a great time watching those in groups. It's like the front, what we talked about with the Friday the 13th films. Mm-hmm. I think when you get a group of uh, people together and maybe you do a drinking game or something, you know, to right. kind of play along with while watching the movie, it can be a lot of fun. Sure, sure. Um, uh, but yeah, this is, uh, so that's, that's how I feel about this one. So I'm giving it a five, probably my lowest, uh, Jack Burton rating. Dang. Dang, man. Believe it or not. 
Yeah, I don't think you've really gotten much lower than that. That's what I gave Monster Squad, yeah. I think, was a five. <laughs> um, well, there's problematic things in that, too. And it's in a lot of the films that we're gonna, we, we have looked at and are going to continue to look at. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, fun, it's funny I'm not weighting my number more with the, the problematic things. But I, almost everything we watch has problematic shit. So it's like, I can't, yeah. I can't keep... I can't keep like chiseling away at the score, I think for me, but again, I'm not the one like who's ever going to watch that movie again, you know? So like, I don't right. know. So for right. a one and dunner or a two and dunner now with me um, and, and the, and the, the level of entertainment value, um, I think that's where my score comes from. Um, I'm not trying to justify mm-hmm. like, why is my score so high? Which for me is, it's again, it's like I'm middle of the road kind of here. Um, but I don't think it's uh a, a net negative like it's not below the middle so yeah that's uh you know yeah yeah and look like with this movie it, it's obviously one of the most important movies in the franchise if not the most important fr- one because if this one failed there would be no more bond movies so um you know from a historical sense very important movie and and you know i would say, yes you should see it like everyone should see if you're if you're a fan of the bond movies you should see it to see where it all started uh but that's the that's the real reason to watch it it's it's not um you know as entertaining it is slower paced than the the rest of the films mm-hmm. so uh those are my thoughts those those are my thoughts but i'm i'm really excited to uh keep going down this road with you and see what you think of, of each of them, you know, how they hold up for you, you know, seeing a lot of the Connery ones for the first time. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. This movie made me want to go watch the, the newer Casino Royale. It's like, I wanted to get back to the bond. I like the most. So like, you know, well, let's let's do it. Let's fire it up in uh, screening room screening room fourteen. Okay, yeah, and uh, let's get socially distant and uh, fire that. Um, we can have one person in the booth and you and I on opposite sides of the theater, and and there we go. I think that's a good idea. Yeah, we can text each other jokes <laughs> while we're watching it. Yes, <laughs> always text while watching a movie. That's the best way to do it. It's the best. It's the best way. Yeah, I, I still have time to kill because I'm assuming the exterminators are are still here getting rid of the geese outside. So uh, yeah, probably, let's just yeah, watch probably with an umbrella or something. Right. Yeah, Sean Connery like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right. Um, well, uh, let's, uh, you know, a quick shout out to our friends as a thank you. Uh, E.K. Wimmer for the theme music as usual. Don't forget to check out his podcast, Laser Graves, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, and our friend Curtis Moore for the poster artwork that he does every week for us. And, and it's really fun watching him do that. Um, check us out on social media. We're at Reconsidimation Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can always find us at www.reconcinemation.com. You can dig through our uh, two years plus worth of our archives. We've got some great episodes in there. And then don't forget to leave us a rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcasts. And we're on Stitcher and Spotify and anywhere you can find uh, podcasts. Uh, that's where we are. And uh, give us a review if you can. It always is appreciated. And uh, 
Yeah, I'm looking forward to covering more Bond, which we'll come back to probably maybe after the holidays. We'll circle back to Bond. But uh, we got a lot of fun shows coming up. Everybody stay tuned for that. uh, And we will see you next time on Reconsinimation. Bye now. At the headquarters of Her Majesty's Secret Service, a very worried Secret Service leader, codename M, paces his office and talks with his leader, the Prime Minister of England. Yes, sir. Uh, Yes, sir. Of course, sir. Of course I know what toppling is. It's throwing the gyroscopic controls of a guided missile off balance with radio beams. Uh, Toppling must have caused that five million dollar missile aimed at a spot in the South Atlantic to end up in the middle of the Brazilian jungle instead. Uh, Excuse me, sir? Uh, Cape Canaveral is now sending a rocket into orbit around the moon? Well, we do our best, sir. We, We do know that the interference is coming from somewhere among the Caribbean island groups near the coast of Florida. No, it's just that our man in Kingston, Jamaica, has mysteriously disappeared. Of course, we immediately sent a new man down to work with representatives of the American CIA, Agent 007. Yes, he should be arriving in Kingston any minute now. His name, sir? Well, he is our best man. You know the one. A man by the name of... Bond. James Bond. Good afternoon, Mr. Bond. I've been assigned to pick you up and take you into Kingston. Without another word, Bond gets into the car. But something isn't right, and Bond knows it. Why would the CIA make such a big show of greeting me at the airport? Not the best way to handle a top-secret affair. What the...? With screeching tires, the car pulls out of the airport parking lot and hits the open road at breakneck speed. Just as I thought. This is no CIA man at the wheel. Just as the mysterious driver presses a button, Bond leaps to the front seat before a plexiglass shield can slide into place and separate him from his abductor. All right, talk fast. Who are you working for? And keep both hands on the wheel. But the driver has other ideas. He lunges at Bond and the car is out of control. James Bond is only one choice, to bail out. In an instant, Bond tumbles free of the speeding car and into a grassy field. But the car and its driver aren't so lucky. They crash through a wall at the turn in the road and fall into the sea. As soon as it hits the water, the car explodes. Quite a nice little reception someone had planned for me. They did everything but sell tickets to my funeral. Later, on the Kingston Wharf... Both the CIA and the Secret Service have checked every island in the area with no luck. In fact, there's only one island with any kind of radar device mounted on it. Crab Key. That radar is standard equipment, perfectly legal size. But one thing bothers me. Every time I mention Crab Key to an islander, I get treated like I'm a ghost. Something about a dragon living on the island. 
Just a native superstition? I wonder. Off the waters of Crab Key that night, a small boat with only one sail drifts beyond the island's outer reefs and heads slowly for the shore. Now for the first test. If my hunch is right, this stone sample should set this Geiger counter clicking like a gambling wheel. As soon as Bond holds the rock close to the Geiger counter, the mechanism responds at once. Hmm. This rock is completely contaminated with radiation. There's a lot of atomic power harnessed somewhere around here. There's more to this little island than meets the eye. Just then, Bond hears in the distance the barking of a pack of dogs. I know the islanders are famous for their hospitality, but this is ridiculous. First my reception at the airport, and now someone's sending me a welcoming party of savage bloodhounds. Thinking fast, Bond wades into an inland stream. Got to get those dogs off my scent. If I wade downwind and stay in the water... But before Bond can wade more than ten feet, a sheet of pure flame turns the water around his ankles into a cloud of hissing steam. Great Scott! I've got to get out of here. Bond turns to see a large Land Rover equipped for rocky terrain and mounted with two deadly flamethrowers. Without thinking twice, James Bond leaps for cover behind some bushes on the banks of the stream. Well, these are the first dragons I've ever heard of that were powered by diesel engines. I'd better stay behind rocks from now on. Uh-oh. Those dogs are starting to wade across the stream. Just as Bond makes a break for a nearby rock, the flamethrowers turn the bushes into a pile of ashes. Ah, I felt the heat of that last one. These guys are really beginning to burn me up. But I'd better stay cool. And I mean cool. All right. Throw your gun down and come out with your hands high in the air. Discretion is the better part of valor. I'd better give up. I'll never get away from this fire spitter. Besides, I have a feeling they're going to take me right to their leader. Mullet! Now, now, don't get hot under the collar. Here I am. And here's a little present for you. Smith and Wesson. It, uh... Oh! The driver knocks 007 unconscious with the butt of his own gun. The villain, who is interfering with rocket launches from Cape Canaveral, has led James Bond, Agent 007, to the mysterious island of Crab Key. But Bond is captured and knocked unconscious by a man driving a flame-throwing Land Rover. As he comes to, he faces a goldfish. A goldfish the size of a whale. Holy mackerel. 
What the? Welcome, Mr. Bart. I trust you have slept soundly. Yes, thank you. A, a little more soundly than I would have liked, Mr. Uh... Doctor. Not Mr. Doctor, no. You keep quite a collection of goldfish, Doctor. <laughs> no, Mr. Bart. You are in my little aquarium hundreds of feet beneath the sea. A unique feat of engineering, if I may say so. I designed it myself. The glass is convex, ten inches thick, which accounts for the magnifying effect. Ah, minnows pretending they're whales. Just like you on this island, Dr. No. <laughs> it depends, Mr. Bond, on which side of the glass you are. Uh, you will forgive me, Mr. Bond, for not shaking your hand. But you see... Dr. No raises both hands to where Bond can see them. But they are not hands. From wrist to fingertip, Dr. No is equipped with grotesque steel claws. My aquarium is run entirely by atomic power. You see, my work has given me a unique knowledge of radioactivity, but not without cost, as you see. But tell me, does the toppling of American missiles really compensate for having no hands? I may be handicapped, Mr. Bond, but I am blessed with one of the greatest brains in the world. Correction, criminal brains. The successful criminal brain is always superior. It has to be. Well, why become a criminal? I'm sure the West would welcome a scientist of your caliber. The Americans are fools. I offered my services. They refused. So did the East. Now, they can both pay for their mistake. World domination, the same old dream. Our asylums are full of people who think they're Napoleon or God. You persist in trying to provoke me, Mr. Bond. Unfortunately, I misjudged you. I thought you less stupid. It turns out you are just a policeman whose luck has run out. Dispose of him, Chang. Dr. No's henchman leads Bond out of the control room and out of Dr. No's sight. Before Chang can react, Bond smashes his elbow back into Chang's stomach. The fight is on. Meanwhile, in the control room, Ah, I can now see the rocket at Cape Canaveral on my closed-circuit screen. Turn up the volume. This is Mercury Control. The check indicates all systems are at go at this time. The countdown is now four minutes, three zero seconds, and counting. Synchronize radio beam for toppling. Chang may be a master of the martial arts, but not a master of the art of breathing when the wind's knocked out of him. Now to get back to the control room. Bond breaks through the doors of the control room to find Dr. No in the middle of operations. Fuel elements 21. Bond! No, you fool! Get away from there! Why, what is it, Dr. No? It's... it's... I'll just activate it and find out. No! It's a nuclear reactor! Press that button, and you'll release deadly radiation rays into the chamber! You'll kill all of us! All right. Shut down your toppling device. Never! 
As the last word leaves his lips, Dr. No leaps on James Bond with outstretched claws. Bond and Dr. No are struggling to get to the controls as the countdown begins. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five. Suddenly, Bond tears a section of paneling from the top of the switchboard and slams Dr. No's steel hands down onto exposed wires. Instantly, the toppling device is short-circuited and Dr. No sinks unconscious to the ground. You'll never get the upper hand, Dr. No. Four, three, two, one, zero. The engines are burning. You can hear the roar and the roar still sounds good and true. Very good. Steady climb. Days later, back in London, a very relaxed-looking Secret Service leader talked on the phone to the Prime Minister. Yes. Well, I'm glad you're pleased, sir. It was a nice little job, wasn't it? <laughs> well, really rather routine, though, sir. Personally, I never doubted for a moment that we would catch up to Dr. No in time. Uh, yes, well, he is our best man, you know. 007. His name is... Bond. James Bond. 